I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Uh, returning James Diamond. Hello. And for the very first time on the podcast, uh, site writer Mike Shawcross. Hello. Hello. Welcome, Mike. Thank you very much. Glad yeah. to be here. Giving a bit Mike's of one of the few time. people on here I've actually met. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Mike have actually met up at Glasgow. Uh, we did. Fight Fest, yeah. Unlike these two losers who keep hiding away, refusing to <laughs> come to Leicester and meet me. <laughs> the hermit <laughs> my, my scary haunted house. <laughs> Nothing to do with Leicester, put it that way. Um, I think me and me and Owen and possibly even James have to thank Mike for the relentless alerts we get on our phone at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was it you said before, Steve? That the phrase "balls out torture porn" lost all meaning to you know? Oh, it's yeah. not me. It's not me. <laughs> <laughs> I put it out there. Hey, if Jessica Cameron wants to run with it. Let her run with it. Yeah. <laughs> She's running like Forrest Gump for that. <laughs> she. Yeah. I'll tell you what. She knows how to work social media. That's a fact. Yeah, it's relentless. It is relentless. <laughs> But it was a really good interview, that. I was really, like, pleased when we published it. It was one of my favourite things that we've put on the site. It was brilliant. I really enjoyed doing it, and she was a star, so... I'm bored of it now, mind. (laughs) I'm bored of it now. (laughs) (laughs) I I reckon at least twice a day since the interview happened, I've had an alert on my phone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Anyway... Um, on to the podcast and on to the quiz where I'm failing disgustingly and losing 2-0 um, to the guests. So, Owen, if you want to, to take it away. I will, yeah. Um, just to briefly explain, because I know you've not been on the podcast, Mike. Um, so we're doing guests versus the regulars. Basically, it's me or Steve versus the guests to guess the actor from the list of or actress from the list of their filmography that I'm going to, going to read out a few choice films from. And um, do, me, do me and Mike have to confer, or can either of us jump in? Is it like blockbusters where e- it's two against one? <laughs> Steve made the same point before. No, either Did of us can jump in. Either, <laughs> either of us can, can go for in. it. Okay, I, I, I can't, I'm starting to see why Steve might be two or down, you know, exactly. not just with his natural... Lack of talent at this quiz as well. But well, it was know. just it was just him the versus Brooker last week. Oh, just well, him oh. versus Brooker, and he still lost. Still so. lost. Yeah, no excuse then. <laughs> okay, but I'm going to do it in non a non chronological order because that's okay. just how I roll, bitches. So this is it. Uh, 
Okay, so just to tie in a little bit with Callum's article on the website this week, his DreamWorks article, which he's returned to after a couple of weeks off. Uh, in 2011, they were in Kung Fu Panda 2. James. Kristen Wiig. Oh. No, it wasn't Kristen Wiig. James, are you going to have a guess? I was going to say Jean-Claude Van Damme. It's not Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> you can have a guess, Steve. Um, well, I've ne- not seen either Kung Fu Panda film, but I think <laughs> Jack Black does a voice in it, so I'm going to have to say Jack Black. Jack Black does do a voice in it, but he's not actually in the film, I'm afraid. So we're just going to have to... Uh, not in the film. He's not my choice. He's in the film. I was going to say, yeah, he is in the film. Definitely sure. in the film, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got that one a bit wrong. So, <laughs> okay. In 2010, just the year before... They were in The Spy Next Door. No. No? No one going to have a guess? I don't even know that film. Okay, fine. Moving on. Moving on. 2004, they were in Around the World in 80 Days. James. Jackie Chan. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, well, you're both right. (laughs) (laughs) You're both right. Yeah, well yeah. done. Congratulations and commiserations, Steve. <laughs> Do you get to something for Steve to watch now, then? I get to pick something for Steve to watch, yeah. So I'll announce it at the end of the podcast. Oh, excited. Yeah, we'll keep it till the end. But that means we switch roles next week, Steve. So you get to host. So that's a bit easier. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's the Delta. end of the quiz no fanfare it's over it's not a word from him he's, he's out on the floor he's gone he's mentally <laughs> not, gone not happy about it <laughs> yeah I think the rules will probably change soon hmm <laughs> we'll see anyway um, on to the news and the 87th Academy Award nominations have been announced um with Best Picture being um, contested by American Sniper, Birdman, Boyhood, The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Imitation Game, Selma, uh, The Theory of Everything, and Whiplash. Mm. Mm. There's a few in there I really enjoyed. Two, two, well, one of which we'll talk about later, but Birdman was the other one that I really enjoyed. Mm. Um well, Boyhood I still haven't seen. Selma is out here, of course, but it's a pretty bland yeah. list overall. It's, it's weird, actually. I was looking at all the all the uh, kind of nominations, and it seems to be a really bland, predictable Oscars. In fact, if you're looking for any value betting-wise, it's... Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Uh, returning James Diamond. Hello. And for the very first time on the podcast, uh, site writer Mike Shawcross. Hello. Hello. Welcome, Mike. Thank you very much. Glad yeah. to be here. Giving a bit Mike's of one of the few time. people on here I've actually met. Yeah. <laughs> the few Mike have actually met up at Glasgow. Uh, you did. Fight Fest, yeah. 
Unlike these two losers who keep hiding away, refusing to <laughs> come to Leicester and meet me. <laughs> the my, my scary haunted house. <laughs> Nothing to do with Leicester, put it that way. Um, I think me and me and Owen and possibly even James have to thank Mike for the relentless alerts we get on our phones at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was it you said before, Steve? That the phrase "balls out torch porn" lost all meaning to you know? Oh, it's yeah. not me. It's not me. <laughs> <laughs> I put it out You're... there. Hey, if Jessica Cameron wants to run with it. Let her run with it. Yeah. <laughs> She's running like Forrest Gump for that. <laughs> she. Yeah. I'll tell you what. She knows how to work social media. That's a fact. Yeah, it's relentless. It is relentless. <laughs> But it was a really it's, good interview, though. I was really, like, pleased when we published it. It was one of my favourite things that we've put on the site. Was really... br- it was brilliant. I really enjoyed doing it, and she was a star, so... Yeah. It, I'm bored of it now, mind. <laughs> I'm bored of it now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I reckon at least twice a day since the interview happened, I've had an alert on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's... Anyway... Um, on to the podcast and on to the quiz where I'm failing disgustingly and losing 2-0 um, to the guests. So, Owen, if you want to, to take it away. I will, yeah. Um, just to briefly explain, because I know you've not been on the podcast, Mike. Um, so we're doing guests versus the regulars. Basically, it's me or Steve versus the guests to guess the actor from the list of or actress from the list of their filmography that I'm going to, going to read out a few choice films from. And um, do, me, do me and Mike have to confer, or can either of us jump in? Is it like blockbusters where e- two is one? <laughs> Steve made the same point before. No, either Did of us can <laughs> jump in. Either right, of you can go for it. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I can't, I'm starting to see why Steve might be too nodded down, you know, exactly. not just with his natural... Lack of talent at this quiz as well. But well, it was know. just it was just him the versus Brooker game. last week. Oh, just well, him versus oh. Brooker, and he still lost. Still so. lost. Yeah, no excuse then. <laughs> okay, but I'm going to do it in non a non chronological order because that's okay. just how I roll, bitches. So this is it. Uh, okay, so just to tie in a little bit with Callum's article on the website this week, his DreamWorks article, which he's returned to after a couple of weeks off. Uh, in 2011, they were in Kung Fu Panda 2. James. Kristen Wiig. Oh. No, it wasn't Kristen Wiig. James, are you going to have a guess? I was going to say Jean-Claude Van Damme. It's not Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> gotcha. You're going to have a guess, Steve? Um, well, I've not seen either Kung Fu Panda film, but I think <laughs> Jack Black does a voice in it, so I'm going to have to say Jack Black. Jack Black does do a voice in it, but he's not actually in the film, I'm afraid. So we're just going to have to... Uh, not in the film. It's not my choice. He's in the film. I was going to say, the... yeah, he is in the film. Definitely sure. in the film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got that one a bit wrong. So, <laughs> okay. In 2010, just the year before, they were in The Spy Next Door. No. No? No one going to have a guess? I don't even know that film. Okay, fine. Moving on, moving on. 2004, they were in Around the World in 80 Days. James. Jackie Chan. Uh, That's what I was going to say. Yeah, well, you're both right. (laughs) (laughs) You're both right. Yeah, well done. Congratulations, and 
Commiserations, Steve. <laughs> Do you get to something for Steve to watch now, then? I get to pick something for Steve to watch, yeah. So I'll announce it at the end of the podcast. Oh, excited. Yeah, we'll keep it till the end. But that means we switch roles next week, Steve. So you get to host. So that's a bit easier. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah. But anyway... <laughs> that's it that's the Delta. end of the quiz no fanfare it's over it's not a word from him he's, he's out on the floor he's gone he's mentally not, gone not happy about it <laughs> yeah I think the rules will probably change soon hmm <laughs> we'll see anyway um, on to the news and the 87th Academy Award nominations have been announced um with Best Picture being um, contested by American Sniper, Birdman, Boyhood, The Grand Budapest Hotel, The Imitation Game, Selma, uh, The Theory of Everything, and Whiplash. Mm. Mm. There's a few in there I really enjoyed. Two, two, well, one of which we'll talk about later, but Birdman was the other one that I really enjoyed. Mm. Um well, Boyhood I still haven't seen. Selma is out here, of course, but it's a pretty bland yeah. list overall. It's, it's weird, actually. I was looking at all the all the uh, kind of nominations, and it seems to be a really bland, predictable Oscars. In fact, if you're looking for any value betting-wise, it's horrific, actually. Mm. Yeah, there seems to be a load of nailed-on favourites. And I remember on our end-of-year show saying what a brilliant year for film it was, and kind of the Oscars isn't really showcasing that. There's a load of brilliant films that didn't, for one reason or another, get a look in. Biggest one there for me is Nightcrawler, and the mm. fact that they'd rather not... They've got 10 spaces to put films in there, and they chose to actually properly ignore Nightcrawler and go, should we have Nightcrawler in here? No, let's just not have our full quota of films, which I find a bizarre decision, uh, let alone the fact that Jake Gyllenhaal didn't even get a nomination for Best Actor either, which, again, is just, frankly, mental. It is. Um, I mean, like we said, it does seem a bit a bit bland this year. I mean, I've seen all of those films now, Bart, Selma, Whiplash, and Birdman. None of them really. None of the ones I've seen, although they were they were good, none of them really seemed great. Mm. Um, none of them really kind of stand out as as amazing or or really what Oscar worthy should be. It, 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 do you know what it, it looks like? A, a really kind of Academy Awards style shortlist, doesn't it? That's the thing. I think over the last few years we've started to see a few genuine pieces of brilliant cinema get onto there, but this feels like most of those films, with the exception of one or two, Birdman being one which I liked, didn't love in the way that a lot of people do, but I think it's brilliant that it's on the shortlist and it's brilliant a film like that's being made. Uh, Whiplash, but m- most of the other films feel like very worthy Academy Award award baiting films and that well I don't know Grand Budapest Hotel I wouldn't say oh no sorry no Grand Budapest Hotel is brilliant I think Boyhood's not one of your normal films but it feels it feels like two hours and 40 minutes of massive projects Oh, I, I love I love the project, I, but watching the film just made me think this just wants awards to be thrown at it. I didn't. Yeah, and they I, they do love a gimmick at the uh, academy. Yeah, you know, the yeah. artists and stuff you, like that. No, you're right about Grand Budapest. I'm, I love that Grand Budapest got nominated. A because the academy rarely nominates comedy for anything, and mm. it's brilliant that there's there's that and Birdman on there. Uh, Birdman is kind of 
comic drama, but you know, it's a comedy. Um, and also it was out in what March of last year or something like that. So it's one of the few that didn't get lumped in the award season as well. So, um, but on the whole, it's a bit uninspiring, isn't it? Yeah, and I don't know what you think, Mike, because there's no horrors listed at all, is there? Never any horrors listed. No. Um, Whiplash is an interesting one. And, I mean, Birdman I, I enjoyed, but I didn't love. Mm-hmm. Grand Budapest Hotel, I do struggle with Wes Anderson films. And the rest of them, like you said, they're all just safe, Oscar-worthy A lot films. Of bi- it's the biopic type. It is. Uh, uh, you know... Uh, and yeah, I, it was just—it's a shame because I, I do think Nightcrawler is, and uh, Nightcrawler and Gone Girl possibly are the two that have been unfairly dismissed there. Um, and yeah, I think Gone Girl's actually a bit been harshly done by. Again, for there to be two blank spaces in that best film nominations bit, and for them to essentially go, yeah, Nightcrawler and Gone Girl, you can get stuffed. I don't. It feels a bit. Yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know. It just feels quite a safe selection. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the acting kind of performance, all the acting performances feel quite safe as well. Uh, there's one or two that, like, everyone knows J.K. Simmons is going to win Best Supporting Actor, uh, and I'm not going to argue with that, as we'll probably find out later on. Um, but the rest of them feel a little bit... Is Eddie Redmayne really going to win? It is, isn't he? Just, <laughs> and, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's and and the other thing uh, as well is no Lego in the best animated movie, which is an absolute bloody travesty, to be honest. Um, I'm just, I'm still genuinely angry. <laughs> I don't get angry at too many things, believe it or not, and I'm genuinely angry that Lego has been just shunned for no reason whatsoever unless it's something to do with the third act of the film without wanting to give too much away um but no one's confirmed anything yet and i, I i'm starting to think that maybe they just forgot <laughs> that's mm. terrible they all wanted free lego in order to vote and they didn't get anything <laughs> yeah. it, it got nominated for best song though uh and i i hope it gets the pity oscar for everything is awesome that would be great um the only other thing I want is um, Marion Cotillard getting nominated again for a foreign language performance is great. She's not going to win it in a million years because she's already got one foreign language Oscar, so she's not going to win another one. But I, I really, really enjoyed her uh, performance in two days, one night. The leading role then, actress is quite a decent list, actually. It's I mean, the one that's least... the most difficult to yeah. guess. I think. Although, oh no, hang on. Elsewise, apparently Julianne Moore's going to win it. Mm. But... Um, but in this country, we're not even going to see that film until March. So where, if she, when she wins her Oscar, we'll have no idea whether or not she deserves it, which I think is a bit of a failure of the distribution model. There you go. I'm angry about that. <laughs> so, um, angry about. Is there uh, anything that you're pleased with? What about um, you know the directors? Anyone in there you you pleased uh, for? Or? I, I'm, I'm 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 a bit angry that um, and uh, this is where my horrible i can't actually read the name of the director that i've written down of whiplash um <laughs> yeah him uh not getting an on uh, not getting a nomination i think is a bit harsh uh and also um the director of selma it was a brilliant opportunity so uh, and i don't mean tokenism and things like that but i think it's a bit sad that a black female director didn't get an oscar nomination simply because it would have actually sent out quite a nice mm. message 
Um, and someone else pointed it out. It might have been Callum's piece. Might have been Callum's piece. No, it wasn't. It was a Telegraph piece I read in preparation. I did homework. Um, <laughs> it's uh, all the acting nominations are white people as well. Every single yeah. uh, acting nomination is a per- is not a person of colour. So it's um, yeah, it just feels a little bit. Yeah, it feels really like a, a safe Academy Award winning thing. Maybe because uh, Twelve Years a Slave did quite well last year. They were like, yeah, I think some white people deserve some awards now or something like that. I don't know. It just it's a shame, really, because the Oscars is meant to be like the crowning achievements of the year in cinema, and I think. Failed Critics Awards did a far better job of celebrating <laughs> 2014 in film. Now, I've said it. <laughs> so no, basically there isn't anything that you're happy with <laughs> with the short. Uh, no, no, okay. Mar- Marion Cotillard. I'm Marian. really happy with Marion Cotillard, and I'm really happy that Michael Keaton's got an Oscar nomination because I love Michael mm. Keaton as well. There we well, go. Yeah, and um, um, Chappie from Birdman, who I think should win. I honestly think Birdman should win Best Direction because that was an incredibly that was a technical achievement um, and that, it was directed beautifully so I think he should win but he won't mm. I didn't get a nomination for editing which I found odd bit bizarre yeah you know well, yeah. there wasn't much editing was there yeah I suppose you could see the editing yeah that, which in a way makes me think it should have won yeah because uh, in the way that um, the best referee is the one that you don't see maybe the best editor is the editing that you don't even notice yeah. Ah, yeah. There you go. Get me on the academy. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> uh, also, we've had the the 35th Golden Raspberry Award nominations announced yes. to celebrate the, the very worst of film this year. Uh, Michael Bay's done well with both Transformers: Age of Extinction and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Up for worst picture, along with Saving Christmas which I've never heard of, The Legend of Hercules, and Left Behind. And no I, Frankenstein. What the hell? I, I thought I, Frankenstein was in the, the long list for worst movie. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah, I did see I, Frankenstein there. I definitely saw it at least one. But it didn't garner loads of stuff. Um, there, I do like the, um, the the double acts one that they have, and there was like um, The Rock and his pecs <laughs> were nominated for worst double act or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um which is a bit harsh. Yeah, The Rock, he's always good. I've not actually seen Hercules yet, but I can't imagine it's that bad. It is. It's oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got The Rock in it. So uh, no, it's no, 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 been no, nominated. No, it's the first one, aren't they? Yeah, the one that's been nominated for Worst Picture is The Legend of Hercules. Oh, that's yes, the one with the um, one. Oh. with Scott Adkins and someone else oh, in it. Oh, from, okay. Callan, yeah. It's Callan Lutz, isn't it? Callan Lutz, yeah. 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 That's, that, that's definitely not very good. Yeah, I kind of liked the Hercules one with The Rock. but Yeah, it wasn't. That was okay. That was all right. But um, Mel Gibson, worst supporting actor for Expendables 3. Yeah, well, Kelsey, Kelsey Grammer's nominated about five times in that cast. <laughs> yeah. But for the Expendables 3, Legends of Oz, Dorothy's Return, which I've never heard of, Think Like a Man 2, and Transformers Age of Extinction. Uh, sometimes, you know, I, I do think the Razzies is almost as bad as the Oscars in its stupid decisions and its snarkiness. And I, I think yeah. it, it started off with good intentions. It started off as a counterpoint to the self-congratulatory nature of Hollywood awards ceremonies, and I get that. But actually, I think it's become part of the same machine. Mm. Uh, and 
And yeah, I know we had a, a worst film, which had a clear winner, by the way, in the Fell Critics Awards. But we don't. Most of the time, we we want to like films, and people don't set out to make bad films. And yeah, I don't, I'm I'm not sure how I feel about the Razzies actually. And when when you see things like the Mel Gibson nomination, <laughs> Mel, I'm sorry, Mel Gibson was one of the best things in Expendables, <laughs> and um. That, that's just a stupid decision. It's just because they don't like Mel Gibson, and that, to me, is just as bad as uh, Bradley Cooper getting nominated three years in a row for almost no reason at the Oscars because Bradley Cooper's obviously liked by the Academy. You know, it's they're they're part of the same problem. They're they're, they're more similar than they would like to admit. I think mm, definitely very populist as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, there's not many genuinely like utterly terrible films there. There's films that are kind of mediocre and average. And yeah, we should point out when that happens. But yeah, like you say, Kelsey Grammer and Mel Gibson on the expend from the Expendables. It, that's just a a populist jab at something that's popular and they didn't like that it made money at the box office. That's mm. it's a totally different argument. Yeah, I do like their Redeemer Award. Um, I missed but- that one. Yeah, for people who have gone from from Razzie winner to turning their career around, so there's Ben Affleck who has gone from uh, Giggly, Giggly, whatever it oh, is, yeah, yeah, uh, to Argo and then Gone Girl this year. Uh, Jennifer Aniston from four-time Razzie nominee to nominated for various awards for Cake. Mike Myers for winning a Razzie for The Love Guru to going on to direct the documentary Supermensch, The Legend okay. of Shep Gordon. And you've got Keanu Reeves, who has been a six-time Razzie nominee um, and has been critically acclaimed for John Wick. And Kristen Stewart, who is was Razzie winner for The Twilight Saga and is now doing well in some art house film called Camp X-Ray. Right. Ke- Keanu Reeves is, a, is quite a good one there, actually, because but, I, yeah. I really want to see John Wick. But everything I've yeah. heard about it... And the Man of Tai Chi, which I really want to see, which um, is also it's one on of the Netflix, isn't it? It's on Netflix now, yeah. yeah. Um, which you know, it seems like he has genuinely started to turn his career back on track, which yeah. is quite good. I think so. that I, I will just say though that Jennifer Aniston thing is again yeah. an example of why the Razzies is not. Je- oh, sorry, she's been in some really fluffy, like post Friends. She was in some really fluffy crappy rom-coms in the way that Matthew McConaughey was and yeah, you know, all that but she's never been bad in films and she's actually put in over the last 10 years or so a, a series of really really good performances in some very kind of quite critically acclaimed films um you seem like, like a man who's never seen Leprechaun I'll just put that I, I haven't seen Leprechaun <laughs> no, you know what I'm talking about anyway I mean, yes I do <laughs> completely <laughs> Is Leprechaun post Friends then? Is it free? I think. What is Leprechaun? Yeah. Oh, uh, pre Friends. Okay. Oh, fair with enough. Warwick oh. Davis as the uh, evil yes, Irish Leprechaun. Okay. Yeah. No. Obviously. Yeah. It doesn't sound like anyone comes out of that. Nineteen ninety-three. It was. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No. I've not seen Leprechaun. <laughs> and I'll be honest. I'm in no huge rush. Um, <laughs> I'll stick to uh, Jennifer Aniston's kind of indie-influenced post Friends career. You know, Office Space and uh, Waitress and. Some, yeah, some, she's really, and I, even her turns in uh, in horrible bosses, I thought was actually she was good in that. So, yeah, I think that's a bit harsh on Jennifer Aniston, and sums up exactly why I've got an issue with the Razzies. There you go. Thank you for that extra ammo, there, Steve. 
So I, because I come back on irregularly now, I'm going to just spout off like a bastard every time I do, and I apologise. No, I'll <laughs> shut up. I'll shut up. No, no different. No different than when you were on every week. Yeah. <laughs> very true. Very true. Anyway, that's all for part one of the podcast, and after the break, we'll be back with what we've been watching. Part two, then, where it's what we've been watching, or where we take a look at the films we've seen in the last seven days or so. Uh, Mike, as you're new on the podcast, why don't you start us off in this section? Okay. Um, last week, I watched Alligator from 1980, and surprisingly enough, it has stars Robert Forster, and it's rather quite good. Um, it's a typical monster movie, large alligator. Morphed into well, an alligator morphed into a super large alligator terrorizing the streets of Chicago, and it was really quite entertaining. The sewer scenes were uh, tense. The actual attacks were well done. A little bit of Jaws music thrown in there just to add to it. But overall, it was it was an entertaining hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> <I kind> <laughs> I hadn't heard of this until you mentioned it, and then I, I quickly looked it up on IMDb before we started. A, a, an alligator flushed down a toilet, yeah. and then, as you say, becomes super large and terrorises the town. I have to admit, that seems like my kind of movie. I'm kind of <laughs> intrigued by it. But Robert Forrester played it so straight. I mean, the alligator looked like one great big rubber thing, and he was just on the mark all the time. He never <laughs> lost it, and he was just brilliant. And it was it was just great entertainment. And it, it typical 80s monster movie. I, I remember when I was kind of growing up, I, I remember reading ridiculous stories in the newspaper. So this would have been mid-80s when I became yeah. aware of these urban legends of... So this was a genuine fear, wasn't it, of kind of the American public at the time? In the way that Jaws tapped into a fear of shark... Yeah, that was the, the kind of thing that media picked up on. Um, Definitely. So I, I do like the fact that they went, we've done Jaws, brilliant. People are scared of alligators. What I love is the fact that someone had an alligator that they flushed down a toilet. <laughs> I mean, it can't be that easy to flush an alligator down a toilet, surely. It was, that, you must it was have really still got a small one. <laughs> really small one, okay. Yeah. And um, any kind of scientific reason for the re- uh, for it becoming so large? or Yeah, the, just... um, the local pharmacy were throwing... Lab, awesome, uh, of course. Always the way, yeah. Always the way, yes. And... and, and uh, <laughs> How, how did this... Because obviously sewers are quite a long way underground. A uh, large amount of brick between the two. How did oh, this hostile terrify the populace of uh, New York, I'm assuming? He eventually came up and got on the streets and just <laughs> went around and got in a couple of lakes. It was it was brilliant. <laughs> Excellent. It sounds typical, but yeah. It, you, you know what you're setting down to watch when of course you, you are. sit down to watch Robert Foster in uh, Alligator. And it sounds like... That's not an evening wasted. It seems like it could only have been made in either the 80s or on the Sci-Fi Channel in the past five to seven years. That's like the only periods of time where a premise like that could actually result in a real film. Yeah. 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 Awesome. (laughs) Is it available anywhere to watch? Is it? Uh, I've not seen it on Netflix. I picked the DVD up from CEX for 50p. Bargain. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, yeah. Um, <laughs> don't know where to go with that. Doesn't need... <laughs> you don't sound impressed, Steve. Um, not particularly. <laughs> I don't think I'll be picking it up for 50p or less um, at any point soon. There you go. Um, on to a film that I have seen um, this week for the first time, which was the, the smash hit... Uh, animated film from a little while ago which was Frozen yes (laughs) sorry (laughs) I'm so excited to hear you talk about Frozen Steve I'm kind of doing a little jig here go sorry so it's it's your standard Disney fair with some princess who has some problems um, and there's a hero and a bad guy and some comic relief and an and an animal that people like because it looks nice. It, boring, really. Oh, think what? <laughs> joking I, me. I didn't get it. Maybe it's because I was watching it with a stinking hangover, but I don't, I doubt it. It, it, it. I didn't get it. What what's what's so good about it, James? Because seriously, okay. I was bored. Okay. Like I I could say if you if you let me include Pixar, I reckon I could name twelve better Disney films. Okay. Firstly, I think you need to look at the context of where Disney have been over the last kind of 20 years. And the fact is they had a great golden period, late 80s, early 90s, let's say up to 1994's Lion King. And then... But no, no. Let, let's, let's not talk about what Disney... There's nothing to do with okay. Disney have done well. Oh, no, what I'm saying the reason this it, is so popular is because Disney a, didn't bring out a good film for like 15 years for a start. Okay. I, I don't think it's that. I think it's just... There's, there's, that's part of it, I think. Uh, apart from... Tangled, which was brilliant, but didn't get seen. I prefer Tangled to Frozen. Now, what you've got with Frozen is you've got, for a start, you've got two female protagonists, um, which taps into something that you haven't seen very much. They are quite independent compared to a lot of kind of previous Disney princesses and things like that. And the songs are incredibly brilliant. There, summed it up for you. The songs are cracking. They are brilliant, brilliant songs. Written by the guy who did Book of Mormon. And, yeah, yeah, really, really good stuff. Maybe it's because I've not seen the film, but I've heard Let It Go relentlessly. (laughs) Yeah, that won't have helped. Yeah. (laughs) I just didn't didn't find any of the characters. I didn't find any of the comic really funny. I didn't find that snowman thing... remotely amusing or endearing or anything, just irritating. You've got a stone uh, where your heart should be. Steve. <laughs> That's not true. I'm not like Owen. <laughs> <laughs> who, hate, who hates fun and anything like yeah, that? I suppose at least you gave it a go, whereas I've tried to actively avoid it. But I was just... I'd prefer that you did that, Owen. You said I, I, I noticed this over Christmas. I noticed, and I'm not, I'm not having a go at you here, Steve, uh, in any shape or form. You, you didn't like it, and that's fair enough. Yeah, I get that. But there were people who seemed to, over Christmas, purposefully watch it so they could slag it off on Twitter. Yeah, um, which I found really odd because, like, the year before that, the people who wanted to watch Frozen ended up watching Frozen, or the people who had kids ended up watching Frozen. Essentially, um, the people who hadn't seen it by the time Christmas came by probably weren't going to like it in the first place because if they were they probably would have gone and seen it when it was kind of not this huge global uh, juggernaut that it is one of the reasons I raved about it when it first came out is I just went to see it with no expectations whatsoever so on the first week of release on my own 
in a almost empty cinema and I came out with a big smile on my face because I'd heard some great songs and I'd seen a good Disney film and I felt like I hadn't seen many for a, a kind of a long time and the animation is great it looks good um it doesn't totally outstay its welcome you know it's shorter than a number of Pixar films the other thing is as well Pixar films over the last few years have been declining in quality as well and I hope they arrest that slide shortly but for me frozen's better than anything pixar have done since um up which is only kind of brave and a couple of terrible sequel cars 2 and uh monsters, um, monsters mm. university which really disappointed me because i love the first one I, I don't i don't think it is as amazing as it is now being made out uh, i think it's a very very good decent film with a, a lot of heart though uh, and some and some great songs. I cannot I cannot tell you how much I love the songs. I'm waiting for um Frozen Singstar to appear on my PlayStation Four because then that's it. I'm going to become a diva. Uh, <laughs> you're a grown man. <laughs> can't help it. I can't help. I'm 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 just like Peter Pan. I just can't agree. I just didn't find any of it like. I've watched a lot of Disney films as a child and as an adult, and most of them I at least enjoy and get along with. This one, I was just like... Oh. I, I think a bit of it might be because you watched it as an adult as well. The Disney films you watched as a kid, if you watched for the first time as an adult, you probably wouldn't have that same goodwill towards a lot of them. Um, and, and I will just say, as a parent, and I don't mean to bring, you know, the pull the parent card here, although at least for once there's someone else who's a parent on this podcast, you know, other than <laughs> myself, that's a rarity in itself. But as a parent of young kids, um, I watch a lot of crap. I watch a lot of real unadulterated dirge that for one reason or another my daughter thinks is fucking amazing and it's really not. I've got to talk to her about quality control anyway. But... When she wants to watch Frozen, I'm like, thank God for that. I'm going to watch something decent. Uh, yeah, I, I went to see um, Planes 2, for God's sake, last year. Yeah, that If you want to see a bad, boring, terrible animated film, that's the one to go and see. Frozen. Hopefully my kids didn't want to go and see that. Yeah, <laughs> you were just a touch older, luckily. Yes. <laughs> okay, um, James, what have you seen? Um, well, I've seen um, a couple of films in the last day or so that uh, I had a bit of a thread in my mind that I wanted to talk about because I think when I had to cry off a podcast sometime last year, I was going to talk about Luke Besson, uh, who is, for, for my mind, the most consistent genre, uh, not just director, but writer and producer industry um, out there at the minute. I'm not saying he's consistently amazing. I'm just saying you kind of you consistently know what you're getting from a Luke Besson production, and I kind of like it. Uh, yeah, it was last year, I, uh, during a week when I went to see um, Three Days to Kill, the Kevin Costner film, and I then went home and watched From Paris with Love, the John Travolta, Jonathan Rhys Myers action film, which I then rated as four stars on Letterboxd because I was stunned how much I enjoyed it. Um, this is kind of part two. I'll just talk very, very quickly. Taken two, as we know, um, regular listeners will know, I took a very distinct stand on the the release and reviewing of Taken Two in Fell Critics. And as Owen pointed out to me the other day, when he reviewed Taken Three, he refused to talk about Taken Two as some kind of 
Well, what would you describe it as? As, um, I don't know, a kind of tribute to your principles. I exactly. Yeah. I, I like that. So I said I wasn't reviewing Taken 2. I wasn't allowing it to be reviewed on the website when I was still in control, mainly because of my disgust at the fact that they had a film which they clearly believed in artistically, which would have been a 15 rated film, and they cut it and hacked at it to get a 12A rating. And my, my position at the time, and as is my position now, is you're releasing a substandard film purely for commercial reasons, and I think that that shouldn't be applauded and that shouldn't be rewarded, and that, that annoyed me. So I went back and watched Taken 2, and it appears I did watch the 12A, but I thought I was getting the unrated version. I hoped I might be getting the unrated version version but no because i watched this film and the fight scenes were the uh, i swear michael bay fight scenes with two robots fighting each other made more sense than half the stuff in taken two it was really it was it annoyed me because i really like the first taken film and i think we've spoken about it on here numerous times It, it took me by surprise i really enjoyed it this one had all the elements of the first Taken film. I really quite like Liam Neeson's late career change to this gruff, everyday action hero. Like that. Uh, I like the European locales. Uh, I like the fact that because I watched this on Danish um, Danish Netflix and I had to turn off the subtitles, like, it started up opening in Albania. And I thought, <laughs> oh God, oh no, I've had to turn off subtitles because I don't want Danish subtitles up here. But then luckily the Albanian guy talks to his family in English and I was like brilliant yeah I know what I'm doing this is great thanks for that Luke Besson uh, Luke Besson who obviously wrote and produced but didn't direct this I keep calling him Oliver Megatron but it's, uh, <laughs> me- it's Megatron which is still a cool name um, and Olivier I think yeah Olivier. Uh, is it Olivier yeah I do bloody Frenchies changing um, uh, anyway um, so yeah it, it set up really nicely the whole ridiculous I love how Luke Besson does bland family life in his films yeah it is they are it is so boring and black dude his setups to these films oh my god just get this is like boyhood but slowed down to you know a tenth of a a tenth of the speed it's really you know you got liam neeson there teaching his daughter to drive for god's sake get on with it um well i also noticed Women just don't drive in Luke Besson films. I'll talk about that in a second anyway. Uh, but then the fights start and you're brilliant. And then he's killing people by cuddling them. And uh, like they oh, fall that. over and then all of a sudden they're dead. And um, the worst bit of this, my wife was half watching this with me. And she just burst out laughing when the big climactic scene where, obviously, because you know there's a Taken 3, so you know Liam Neeson's not going to die. So Liam Neeson kills the bad guy. And I, I imagine he's meant to be killed by pushing him onto some kind of coat hook or something like that. But he just kind of like pushes him slightly against the wall. And because you don't, you can't see any of the violence of <laughs> something going in someone's head. This guy gets pushed against the wall and then he's dead. And it's no, it's no climax. It's just like, that, it wound me up so much. This would have been a three star, six out of 10 film for me if it wasn't for, for the editing. And that was a shame because. Like I say, I do like Luke Besson's ridiculous action films. They they remind me, in a way, of the 80s action films. Um, and then I went... So I, I watched Lucy today on thinking... Right, it's basically... I was thinking it's going to be Taken meets Limitless, <laughs> but with a female lead, um, and with um, uh, yeah, with some Korean... Uh, what's his name? Joy Music. Joyman Sick, thank you very much. Um, yeah, this is going to be really... And Morgan Freeman narrating and shit as well. Yeah, this is going to be cool. Um, 
And it was completely unlike what I expected, uh, because she doesn't do a lot of fighting at all. Because uh, Lucy, those of you who don't know, um, Lucy is uh, kind of, you know, standard American tourist, uh, ends up becoming an unwitting drug mule, and uh, the drug leaks into her system. And she, and this is the great bit, uh, it's a great pitch, even though it makes no sense. Uh, she uncovers the other 90% of her brain that the humans don't use, and it's the next step in evolution and things like that. And she ends up with, like, telekinesis and being able to see into the future. And it's really quite weird because she doesn't need to have awesome fights because she just, like, destroys people with her mind and stuff. Really, really weird film. And I cannot help but think that the audience that went in to see this film did not get the film they were expecting. I can't imagine... Lucy played in many art house films. This was an art house film. I was watching... This reminded me of 2001. Uh, and then when I read about it, oh, yeah, Luke Besson said 2001 was a major touchstone in his influence for Lucy. And, yeah, you've got the, the monkeys at the beginning. Um, you've got, basically, Lucy pretty much becoming the star child. It's... it's uh, the last 20 minutes of this film made less sense to me than Holy Motors made um and uh certainly a lot less sense than the matrix made and that made no sense third part of the matrix made no sense to me either um but at the same time i just i just loved the fact that this film was wearing its heart on its sleeves and was he he was making his 2001 tribute but with scarlett johansson and a load of korean gangsters and the only way luke besson could make 2001 space exactly yeah um and and do you know what? I, I had a lot of fun with it. And thinking back to the reason I was thinking about this was because Three Days to Kill is just out on DVD or is about to be released on DVD. That's a really good fun film. Kevin Costner hanging around in Paris, shooting up things. Um, uh, and please, please, you might think it looks like the worst film that you could possibly watch. I did when, when I watched it. But from Russia with Love, I'm putting that to my, the top of my list of films that need a sequel. And you may think there are a load of films that need... No, I need to see John Travolta's character from that film in another film again. It was one of the most... Was that from Paris with Love? Russia with Love, yeah, I was thinking... So, what was I saying? From Russia, Russia with from Love. Russia. I, there you go, I got a bit confused. <laughs> I, I'm sure I said from Paris, very beginning of, of this Possibly, round. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, yeah, from Paris with Love. Uh, Jonathan Rhys-Myers can get knotted. He's, he's not very good in it. But uh, John Travolta is genuinely awesome in that film and um yeah I, I just i just love luke best on films lockout came out not a couple of years back i think we reviewed it on one of the first podcasts the guy pierce prison in mm. space but again it's just such a luke best on film and I, I love the fact that you can sit there and go yeah this is this is definitely a luke best on film and i know i'm going to have a bit of fun here he's like a kind of decent uve bowl um or in my mind, he because he writes and directs and oversees a load of these, he's the modern-day Roger Corman for me. Um, yeah. Even though we've got a modern-day Roger Corman, we've got Roger Corman still making <laughs> films, which is brilliant. Um, but Because the, the other reason that I bring up Roger Corman is that Luke Besson films rarely make a loss. He makes them cheap, mm-hmm. and they get people going to see them. And yeah, and he's he's got an influence and a legacy. I don't think Crank would have been made without Luke Besson, for example. Um and I'm not, there'll be some people going and but Crank <laughs> action films of the last ten years. That's what I'm talking about. So no. yeah, that's it. Just go and watch Luke Besson films. More of you. Um 
Except Taken 3. Yeah, I've not seen Taken 3 yet. And, uh, and, (sighs) yeah, I I don't know. And to be honest, Taken 2, I only gave two stars to. It wasn't great, but but it had enough bits in there for me to say I'm enjoying watching this. Oh, yeah, and the last thing, none of his films seem to be longer than 90 minutes, which, again, is an absolute blessing these days, and probably another reason he manages to keep costs down. He's, He's a really smart, savvy director in that sense financially and that's not a bad thing that's not to be sniffed at talking of Luke Uh, Besson have you seen The Lady? no I haven't that's his film okay when was that out? start of last year okay oh the year before it's very good it's worth watching it's completely removed from every Luke Besson film out there it's (laughs) but it's Michelle Yeoh. Okay. Oh, right. Okay, cool. And, Owen, what have you seen in the last seven days? Um, Well, I watched uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, but it was slightly different, slight twist to to normal, because it was an edit by Steven Soderbergh, director of, you know, Ocean's Eleven and Magic Mike and Side Effects and... You know, it, it's uh, on his website as well. You can go to go straight to his website and watch it for free, which is extension765.com. Um, and it's up there for free because he's called it sort of an educational cut, which basically ah, makes it yeah. illegal get around. US copyright, yeah. Yeah. Good work. So it's, it's an educational film. Um, part of his reasoning for this, I'll just read out a bit on his website. So sometimes you have to cross the line to know where the line is. Just ask any two-year-old. Maybe this is what happens when you spend too much time with a movie. You start thinking about it when it's not around, and then you start wanting to touch it. So basically what's (laughs) happened is he is a massive fan, a huge fan of of Stanley Kubrick's film, as he quite rightly should be, and so should everybody else, because it's, it's one of the single greatest films in existence. But he well, obviously it's no looks Lucy, at, but you know. It's not quite Lucy, perhaps, you know, <laughs> not as clever as Lucy, but you know. And um there's certainly less shooting in it. Yeah. Um but so yeah, so he, he really loves two thousand one space Odyssey. And he's what he's attempted to do is restore it into a format that he thinks looks the best. And he's trimmed it down substantially as well. So it's down to one hour fifty minutes. Which, if you you know, if you're familiar with the uh, with the original, that's quite a huge chunk that's been shaved off. At least half an hour, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the original's 160 minutes. So oh God! Right, bloody hell! So he's cut out quite a lot. What he's what he's actually cut out. um, I don't. I can't tell you exact scenes because although I do love 2001: Space Odyssey and I've seen it a few times already, um, I don't know it well enough to know exactly which bits have been trimmed, which bits Mm. of different shots, or what's had different soundtrack added to it. Um, But what I can tell you is a lot of the human interaction, anything to do with people, has been cut down, minimalised, and condensed. So, for example, Leonard Rossiter, um, Mm. the meeting on the moon, none of that is in it at all. So there's there's very little to do with humans. The opening scene from 2001 Space Odyssey, as everyone knows, is, uh, well, like Lucy, it's got the apes discovering um, the monolith. They meet the black monolith, which gives them knowledge and with knowledge they grow and uh, 
fight and you see them starting to walk and hit each other with bones and hunt and eat meat and all that kind of thing. Um, that's in there, but it's, it's a lot shorter. Mm-hmm. What seems to still be there, um, and I don't know whether it's possibly just because it seems like it's a huge chunk of the film or whether it, uh, you know, whether it has actually been edited or not. Um, I don't really know. But the, the, the sort of trippy, Travelling through space part mm. and he gets to Jupiter's moon um, or Jupiter and, you know, the whole weird flash of colours um, seems to... What he's also done, and I, um, someone might correct me on this, I do not remember there being lots of clips of how, you know, the, the robot, mm. um, the artificial intelli- intelligence pairing spaceship. Yeah. They u- he uses the clips of um, just looking straight into Hal's um, well, I don't. I don't want to say eye. It's not an eye. It's mm. like his camera. Yeah. Because you know, to say it was a, an eye would be to uh, anthropomorphize anthrop. Mm. That word. That's him. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not. It's, you know, it's his camera, but it's or his lens, I suppose. So there's lots of these clips of this this lens that appear frequently throughout the film, building up to Hal's um, ultimate mm. moment. Um, which I don't seem to remember before. So what the, what it seems to be doing is trying to paint him as a villain, right? Okay. A, a kind of ominous bad guy, uh, which is odd. Which I thought was odd because the, the part of Hal was, well, he's just another tool, isn't he? I mean, yeah. you see in the beginning when they meet the monolith and they get the knowledge, well, then they start actually using tools, and then they meet them. They meet the monolith on the moon. And yep. suddenly they've got a spaceship with artificial intelligence, which is the next level tool. And then, of course, he gets to the um, monolith later on uh, in a bedroom, which is just one of the weirdest moments of any film ever. I'm really unsettling <laughs> for some reason. But, um, yeah, but I mean, but absolutely still, the message is the same through, through the film. He's managed to condense it quite a lot, but it still feels like 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, and it's an absolutely beautiful cut of the film as well. Um, okay. If you've got a really good internet connection, which I now have, yes, finally, <laughs> it's, um, it is worth watching. Uh, and I would really love to watch them side by side. I'd really like to just get the original cut, Stanley Kubrick's cut, alongside Soderbergh's cut, and just see how they, how they match up. But, um, yeah, like I said, absolutely one of the best films ever made. One of my personal favourite films. Um, and yeah, if you go to his website, it's it's there to watch for free. Um, there is a little... I don't know whether you'd call it a joke or a pun, but the title of the article is The Revern, uh, Return of W. D. Reich, who um, is the guy who, uh, in the 70s, um, it was, he slashed Rembrandt's The Night Watch, put a knife to it. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. yeah. Which So it's obviously a joke because he's taken a knife to a piece of yeah. work he considers to be one of the best in existence and created something else. So, very clever title. Um, it's, yeah, it's really interesting. I've just remembered, um, thinking of recuts of 2001, there's another recut of 2001, which I've seen. Um, there is. The Bowie 2001, um, which is an even shorter cut, I think, and it's another cut of the film, mm-hmm. very different, uh, but that one's biggest thing is that this guy, uh, Fritz von Runte, has remixed 
um, Bowie music. <laughs> added wow. Bowie, uh, so he's added Bowie remixes, his own remixes of Bowie's music to, uh, and obviously Bowie did uh, the song Space Oddity, which kind yeah. of that, that's the tie in there. Um, so it, it's quite interesting that this is a film that other people have thought gone to and thought. It, it almost like it's a toolbox. I can maybe I can create something else out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I, I think that in in a way is also testament to the power of Kubrick's filmmaking is that people love it so much, but they want to mess around with it and see what else they can come up with. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure for for um, Soderbergh, it was an experience of trying to make it more uh, real to him, something that he can actually physically mould and therefore learn something new about it himself, you know, from a kind of selfish perspective. But also it's quite interesting to watch and see how somebody else can, what they find in 2001, what yeah. what they really like about it, and particularly someone as, you know, celebrated as Soderbergh, mm. you know, very uh, well-respected director. And, it's... and the other thing it does just make you remember, it, it kind of brings to the fore the power of the editor. And we, yes. we often talk yeah. about the power of the director. Films are described as the work of the person who directed it. But there you go. That's someone who's taken Kubrick's stuff and just reassembled it and made you know, a different film. Mm. Uh, so that, that in itself, I think, is, is, is a worthwhile exercise just to remind us that editing is such an, you know, an incredibly important tool. And we, how many people here really know more than one editor yeah, the, yeah, yeah exactly. we don't we, these editors who do that work silently in the background and things like that they actually have an incredible um influence on the films that we see yeah i'm sure we're going to talk about an editor as well in one yes. of our new release reviews um which i suppose we should move on to swiftly <laughs> and stop doing my job for me yeah sorry <laughs> you don't know Moving what i'm on. going to make you watch yet so you're going to hate me even more in a bit Moving on swiftly, um, have a break and be back with our new release reviews, including American Sniper and Whiplash. But first up then for our new release reviews, we have got The Testament of Youth, which uh, Mike has seen. Mike, talk us through that one. And Testament of Youth, which was released on Friday, is the Vera Britton book that she wrote about her experiences in World War One and the loss of her loved ones in that war. And really, it's quite an emotional piece. It's um, it's very well shot. Beautiful cinematography, and it's absolutely stunning. However, some of the cast were quite a bit of a letdown. Alicia Vincander, who plays Vera Britton, was, was superb. And you might recognise her from A Royal Affair, where she was brilliant in that. Um, it was, it was Kit Harrington, who was playing Ronald Lighton, who is her lover. He just didn't, he was just, had nothing. It was a real letdown. <laughs> and I you thought, know- I, I, I don't, thought he was going to be the star. I like Game of Thrones. I don't even think he's good in Game of Thrones. I, I honestly don't get why. He, he, he's a good-looking lad, isn't he? Uh, I suppose that's He is, and I think that's... I, I've never been impressed by him in anything, I'll be honest. You didn't like him in Pompeii? <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't. 
But this needed some serious acting. I mean, this was a serious piece, and he just didn't have it at all. And she was, Alicia Vingander was giving it her all, and she was just brilliant. And he was just nothing to her. And, and it wasn't Something the script. Yes, it was. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but aside that, it was a stunning soundtrack and beautifully shot around Buxton. And it, it looked well. The war pieces were very cleverly done. It was never on the lines. It was always behind the lines, out the, out the camp, at the hospital. And it was, it was, it was an interesting one. My do- I took my daughter to watch it, and she loved it. She thought it was brilliant. And she even agreed that Kit Harrington wasn't very good in it, and she's only 15. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's worth seeing just for the Vera Britton story alone. So... The film to me looked a bit um, not Oscar baity, perhaps maybe BAFTA baity. Very yeah. BAFTA, but yeah, definitely not Oscar. I yeah. don't think there's anything there that would well warrant an Oscar. That's for sure. It, it just screams uh, senior screen uh, odium for me. You know, it just yeah, those kind of eleven o'clock yeah. in the morning with a cup of tea and some biscuits and two pound fifty for your ticket. So I've been to a couple of those. They're odd. Yeah. what it screamed to me i know i had a i had tickets to a free preview and i had to go to a children's birthday party instead and i'm can't yeah i'm I'm not overly bothered that i missed it i'll be honest it's um it's getting cut short on thursday it goes off the cinema so it obviously didn't appeal to the general public okay and uh next up is american sniper starring Bradley Cooper and telling the uh, true story of a sniper fighting in the... Is it the Second Gulf War? Is that what we're calling this one? The Iraq conflict? Well, just the Iraq War, I think. It's yeah. One big long mess, yeah. isn't it? But yeah. A big old mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that should be its official title, <laughs> the big old mess. Yeah. I think that was George Bush's whole administration. I yeah. think it was just a <laughs> big old mess. <laughs> Is this a little bit more politics than the American Sniper shows, perchance? <laughs> yeah, possibly. Um, anyway, yes, what did those of us who've seen it think of the film? Um, I personally thought I thought Bradley Cooper was, was good, um, perhaps very good, but not quite Oscar-worthy, Oscar um, considering the likes of Jake Gyllenhaal missed out for, for Nightcrawler. Um, but the film itself just found a bit dull. Not, I wasn't really interested at any point. Yeah, I kind of agree. Can I just go back to a point, though? I think I, I, I did really like Bradley Cooper, actually. I think considering mm-hmm. he got nominated for American Hustle, which he was all right in, you know, it wasn't brilliant. He was much better in this, mm. um, and he certainly deserves his nomination over a few of the other people who were up there for Oscars, like Benedict Cumberpatch and Eddie Redmayne. Don't think either of them deserve a nomination. Whereas Cooper was a bit better than them. Um, but yeah, the problem I had was uh, most of the interesting bits about the film come from the fact it's a true story and not from it being an actually quite good film. You know, because it's based on mm. a real person and you know that the stuff that this real person went through. Um, well, I mean, if you read into it a bit more, I've seen a few criticisms. It, you know, it may be st- some stuff was exaggerated. Yeah, that's true. But for dramatic effect, or maybe some stuff was exaggerated by the main character himself in his book, either because of his own 
ego and that's what he genuinely thought all to perhaps help him sell sell the book mm. um but you know in yeah in general it's a it's a true story about a a, a sniper fighting in iraq and and fighting family problems back home yeah um yeah i mean he is on record as the like the most deadly sniper in america's history isn't mm. he Sixty yeah. odd confirmed kills, I think. I believe so. Yes. You know, and he is kind of a decorated American hero. Um, yeah. Very well. I mean, even <laughs> even aside from some of the things that I think we, it's safe for us to say that he definitely made up in his book. You know, people like Jesse Ventura winning yeah. suits against him for libel or slander, yeah. saying that he. Or was it that he'd uh, said some Marines deserve uh, to die? And then... Yeah, Marines deserve to die. And Jesse Ventura said, I never even met the man. I don't, exactly. you know, I don't know what was. And, and may, do you know what? Who knows? Maybe that was cynicism. Maybe it was um, actually a result of his post-traumatic stress disorder. Could be, yeah, possibly. Who, who knows? Um, what's quite interesting is actually... Yeah, I, I've only read about the film and about the story. I didn't get a chance to see the film. But what is quite interesting is how a lot of people in America are refusing to accept any criticism of the film mm. because he's a goddamn American hero. And that in itself is quite telling. But you, you've you watched the film. Does the film actually go down? Or is, is that people seeing what they want to see in a film? Or is the film a little bit Team America? No, th- I don't think it was very Team America. The problem I didn't what, get that impression either. Yeah, mm. I mean, the, pro- the, the problem is it seems to try to do the opposite. You've got Clint Eastwood, who's trying very hard to not be political about it he just Mm. wants to tell the story of this guy who's considered like an american hero and his story from his own words Mm -hmm. um but uh, you know callum pointed out on his review on the website and i've seen it in other places as well it's very difficult to do that when the character has very strong political views yeah Um, i think it's i think he does eastwood does about the best you can to make the film non-politicised and non-America fuck yeah-sized mm, mm. it's you know you could quite easily transpose that situation to any modern war where the soldier does tours and then comes home for a bit mm. and and you know this it would be kind of the same kind of film it's like Hurt Locker there, isn't it yeah yeah precisely yeah I mean obviously with any film like that there is always a, with a central character based on a true story who does have opinions and, and whatever of the situation he's in and, and beliefs and whatever, it is going to be slightly politicised. It's going to have a slight element of that, but it, it's not kind of overbearing by any means. It's really mm. centre in the film. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some people refer to it as like a John Wayne film, and all I can assume is they've never seen a John Wayne film because, you know, to compare this to something like The Green Berets, which is just a propaganda film mm. for the American you know, soldiers, um, this isn't, this isn't, it's just about this guy. And part of that is what lets it down because, um, you, you just get this overbearing sense that it's trying to purposefully avoid being pro anything. Yeah. You know, being pro, uh, war or pro even invading Iraq or anything like that. Mm. Um, but like I say, but without criticism as well, I without, mean, yeah. there's not the criti- There's no criticism of the invasion of Iraq either. It's yeah. like if the BBC wanted to make a film about him. <laughs> yes, very balanced and even, and both sides equally. I, exactly. Okay. But like I say, but the character 
shoots people. He shoots 160 people. Mm. So, you know, at some points in it, it does feel like it's very in support of him. But it's also because it's a kind of tribute to the guy. And that's that's also one of my main problems with it. I mean, I don't know. Did did you quite like it, Mike? I think I remember reading your tweets that... that yeah, you, I, did, you I really it. did enjoy it. I, I mean, I didn't know anything about it, so I was going in there blind. And <laughs> I did. I thought Bradley Cooper was great. And I thought the actual urban scenes were very well done. Uh, reminded me of a lot of Black Hawk Down. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. It was it was an enjoyable film. Yeah, I mean, I liked the I did like some of the um, the way that it tried to bring it back to soldiers reacclimatizing to civilian life. It tried, it did try to because he did four tours, you know, of Iraq. So there's there's points throughout the film. It's not just one long bit in a war zone and one long bit actually back home. It, it interjects it all. Um, which is quite nice because you get to see this, the growth or uh, maybe not sort of the growth of his character, just the the change in him over a, a, a period of time, which was interesting. But then again, it, you know, I felt it didn't do enough to explore his his motivations and, and um, beyond, I mean, you, at points, it just says that he wants to do this because he wants to protect his country. You know, he's not there to save Iraq. He's not there to save it. He's there to stop terrorists from gathering pace and being able to come back to America, um, essentially. But that's it. I mean, all you get is a couple of times where he says it, and there's there's nothing really deeper than that, which is odd, because it's a biopic, a biopic. You know, it's about one guy, and there's not much there about him, just stuff that he's doing and stuff that happens to him. That's how I felt about it, anyway. He's just, he was there to protect his soldiers, wasn't he? He was there. Like yeah. I said, if you, as soon as you walk in that room and I can't see you, I can't protect you. Mm. So he yeah. was doing. He, all he wanted to do was do his job. But um, there's no, there's not enough there. I don't think about why he. There's not because they're back. not they're not discussing the war to give him enough to animation animation to justify what he's doing. Mm. But. Uh, yeah, but I mean, at the same time, I think um, I've seen people absolutely rip it apart and say how horrendous it is, how horrible, and you know he's a murderer and they shouldn't do stuff like this about people well, like him. But uh, you know, it's a <laughs> it's like, war. It's, any soldier's a murderer, isn't he? The guy, the sniper on the other side was doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, that was actually one of my other problems. <laughs> is that they made a specific guy into the the baddie, um, you know, yeah. a rivalry with another sniper on on the Iraqi side, and I thought that was also a bit peculiar. That was a strange decision. Anyway, um, that's all for America Sniper. Next is our review of Whiplash. Um, I mentioned earlier another film Oscar nominated. Um, those of you who have seen it, tell us about that. Uh, James, why don't you start off? You've been quiet for far too long. I know. <laughs> Unnerving, isn't it? I, I, I still managed to chip in on a film I've not even seen. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, Whiplash, uh, quite simply, one of the best films I've seen in the last 12 months. It would have been in my top five last year if I'd seen it at the London Film Festival. It's the story, a really simple story of 
uh, a young lad uh, at, uh, at one of the well, the top music school in America in New York, played by Miles Teller, uh, a jazz drummer who goes out of his way to try and catch the eye of the leader of the uh, the conservatoire's um, studio jazz band, uh, played by J.K. Simmons, and what you get is essentially full metal jacket with dra- jazz drumming. The first <laughs> full metal jacket with jazz drumming and a few sports films. But it's just an incredibly lean and raw film that has great performances, primarily two great performances. Um, J.K. Simmons getting a huge amount of justifiable recognition already. He's going to walk away with the Oscar. Miles Teller does really well in this role, though. Um, I've not really seen him in much, I'll be honest. Uh, And I've certainly never seen him do anything as intense as this uh, and you know what you know when you are in the cinema and you look at, you say oh, i looked at my watch and that's usually a bad sign as as i felt this film was getting to its final denouement i looked at my watch thinking well it can't be because i've only been watching this for about an hour and i realized no i've been watching this for nearly an hour and 40 minutes i just didn't realize it flew by it's um just an incredible film I, i'll let someone else chip in for a minute while i try and <laughs> regather my thoughts uh, yeah, no, I completely agree. I really, really enjoyed this. Um, it's kind of one of those as well. It feels a bit personal because it's partly influenced by um, director Damien Chazelle's um, personal experiences of being in a in a in a music school, a music academy. Although exaggerated, um, you know, it has to be because it's a film. You can't have everything exactly based on real life, or most things would be quite boring. So the hyper, um, it, it, you know, it's hyper realism in terms of the character of Fletcher, played by J.K. Simmons. Uh, a lot of people have come out. A lot of musicians have actually come out in the press over the past couple of weeks saying, "Yeah, nothing like that really at music academies. Um, you get a few grumpy teachers, but no, nobody like Fletcher." So. Uh, the thing is, I, I, I don't think it has to be about drum. For me, it's not a film about drumming. I was trying to explain this to yes, someone yeah. yesterday. Um, someone who listens to this now and again, actually. I call him Duff. That's all I'm going to say. Right, okay. Um, who said it was pretentious. Um, said it was a pretentious film. And he said, and his question for that was, um, could you, when there was a scene where three different drummers are uh, going through their paces and none of them are doing it right and he said could you tell the difference between any of their drumming I said no I couldn't but that's not the point because for me it's not even a film about drumming it's a film about uh, perfection uh, and you could transport this film to almost any field and the one that really reminded me of is that the you know chefs uh, the, the restaurant industry and you know there are people like that there. You know there are sports coaches like this. Um, and so for me, it wasn't a massive leap. I can imagine there are, you know, one or two, you know, music teachers who are a bit like that. I'm not saying they're all like this, um, but it doesn't surprise me. But for me, it's, it's not even a film necessarily about music, despite music being a huge part of the film, a massive driving force and brilliantly used. It's it's just a film about perfection. Um and and what you're the prepared best. to do yeah exactly um and, and what i love is the fact that as an audience member i had no idea what was going on with the drumming half the time i just know it sounded good but it didn't matter i didn't need to know uh in fact it probably works that i couldn't tell the difference because then i felt like the character i couldn't tell if uh, the famous scene that a lot of people will have 
seen in the trailer and used in the awards build-up. Uh, yeah, are you a are you a dragger or a rusher? And to the point that the person dra- I don't know if I'm going too fast or too slow. And if he doesn't know as an audience member, of course I'm not going to know. But that is incidental to the whole point. As we yeah, well, he might not be doing either. And he might not be doing either. It might just be a completely psychological bullying torture yeah. method as well. And uh, and that is brilliant. It, you're right. Hyper real is 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 very good. You couldn't spend the whole film with J.K. Simmons. His um, it would wear off after a little while. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, you you get used to it. So he's used not sparingly, but you know there's enough gaps between his bits and he isn't constantly like that. He does have some range and he has some quieter moments as well, which I think really, really help the film because when he does explode, I'm sorry, it's really funny as well. Um, I was some... just, yeah, exactly right. It's, it's strange because you, you find yourself laughing a, at it and terrified of him. bastard. Yeah. And you think, you know, in real life, you'd think, no, he, she should never be allowed to teach impressionable young people. But actually, the whole point of the film is, yeah, as distasteful as it might as it might be, is that approach sometimes needed? And that that for me is the the crux and the key question towards this film, and you know, which makes you think makes you think about yourself, um, and it leaves you with an uneasy question, which is actually, is he right to do that? And because it, it isn't just he's a massive bully. He, he he is doing it for a reason, and uh, the whole uh, is the end worth the methods? I suppose would be would be one of the key questions here. I know this is going to stray slightly into spoilery territory, mm-hmm. but you know, Mike James, we'll be careful. The the ending of the film was perfect. Sorry, I oh, yes. <laughs> no, no. I was going to say there's there's a point just before the most iconic moment in the film probably um where something happens with miles teller's character Mm -hmm. with naaman um do you (laughs) it's difficult (laughs) to say without spoiling the the point where he uh has a confrontation Mm -hmm. with fletcher um on stage what what do you think the motivation behind that was from fletcher's point of view do you know I'm 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 I can't quite get what we're getting at here. I'm okay, sorry. because so we're talking about him not having the right music. Yes. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. I. I yeah. Um. It's I, revenge, I, I, I think it's all planned. I think it's. Yeah. I think it's. It's all definitely it. planned. But do you think that is the motivation? The oh oh yeah. I think we might have to talk about this off of off of the. Okay. Pod. I'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah. No, but all I will say is we'll have a chat uh, uh, off here and then, you know, chat to us on Twitter or whatever. <laughs> um, I, the great thing for me about Whiplash is it's a film I want to talk to people about and not just like talk to them about saying, oh, this happened, this happened. Actually, no, about what it made me feel about things and what, what motivations were there behind characters and things. Yeah, I definitely, I really want to have this conversation, but I'm scared that I'm going to ruin it for yeah, okay. the moment I start having that conversation. It, it, it is very honestly ambiguous, I think, at times, yes. which, is, which is quite nice. Um, yeah. Not in a, you know, they can't yeah. be bothered to explain it sort of way, but a, you interpret it in your own way. Yeah. That which I quite enjoyed. Um, I suppose the other thing as as well is that we haven't really talked about Miles Teller and his drumming. Mm. I know it's not necessarily a film about jazz, um, but I mean I hate jazz music. I've mm. never gotten on with jazz music. 
But it's the not, point again, seems... It's not about the music, is it? It's not about the music, <laughs> but it's about the thing that... You know, it's about art, really. Mm. That's the Rather than specifically one mm. type yeah. of music, it's about art. And it's yeah. about exceeding performance to kind of transcend away from what you're what you're actually doing is, you know, hitting sticks against a, a bit of skin on a metal round drum to yeah. make a noise. It's about exceeding that to become something bigger, something more. Yes. Um, and, you know, as well, Miles Teller's character striving for not just to be good, but or great even. He wants to be a great. He wants to be a legend yeah. of his, of his yes. um, chosen profession, you know, and his career. But I thought that the, the acting for Miles Teller, very good. Did you know he does most of the drumming? Uh, yes. Yeah, only because I then read about it. And he's okay. been drumming since he was 15 or something like that. So he, he was a drummer. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and so, uh, isn't it something like 90% of what you see on screen, not necessarily what you hear, but what you see on screen is... 90% yes. of what you see on screen is him, is him drumming. That's uh, right, yeah. Pretty damn impressive, actually. And it's also uh, where I was going to talk about the editing... Because um, yes. the scene, there's one, just one part of the film where he's drumming really well. Um, but that, just one, perhaps sort of, I don't know how long it is, but it's seven, eight, nine minutes long. Yeah. Um, which seems like for anyone who hates drumming or jazz. I don't worry about I, it, it's brilliant. I, I read it was, it's a nine minute drum solo. It's it, nine it minutes. It is nine minutes, and I read that when it's I was on just the reading CD. The, yeah, it's, it's okay. nine minutes, and I read that and went, no, that was two, three minutes max. That, how the hell was that nine minutes? It's amazing. It, it just, it, that's what I mean about this film just flew by, uh, and it, and and yeah, I've I've liked the odd bit of jazz, you know, um, over the years. There'll be a bit that I've heard, snatches I've heard here and there. Uh, this is a brilliant soundtrack, though, and it, in a way, it reminds me of Inside Lewin Davis. I'm not a massive fan of sixties folk, but the way that film was very evocative of that era and how it used the music, I kind of didn't care that I didn't like that music because you know what, in this environment I do. And it's the same with Whiplash. I'm not a big jazz fan, but in this environment with these people and these characters and all the other emotions it brings to the surface, mm. I couldn't imagine listening to anything else. You know? But it was, so, it was, I mean, it's interesting to bring up um, Inside Lou and Davis because what you hear on the actual soundtrack, you know, mm. if you buy it from a, a yeah, HMV or if that is even good anymore <laughs> on the CD, and you put it in your yeah. Walkman. Yeah. I don't know, I'm, I'm very old fashioned. So <laughs> you know that is Walkman Owen. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> you know, if you buy it on cassette and you put it in your stereo, um, but it, it, that is different to what you hear in the film because in the film they were performing most of the songs live as part yeah. of the film, whereas with this, that nine minute drum solo was filmed over two days. Mm. Just that one drum solo, two days that was, yeah. and that was Tom Cross, the editor, who has been nominated for an Oscar. He Good. put that together to make it look like just one long nine-minute solo. Yeah. I think he's done a fantastic job. Yeah, I definitely. think he's been, you know, fully deserved yeah. his, his nomination for that because it's it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I, yeah, I, I just. I love the film. I, this is now the film that I want to win best Oscar. It won't, uh, but it's it's the one I'm cheering on because I know Grand Budapest Hotel won't win squat. So <laughs> this is the one that I'm cheering on now because wow, it, it would have been up there in my films. I, I would have had five films of last year uh, if I'd actually got to see this at yeah. the London Film Festival, and any of them could have won my favourite film of last year. This is so good, and I know. Um, 
yeah, just to say, I, I don't know if Carol still listens to this. I wouldn't if I was her. Uh, <laughs> you don't. But, no, I don't. Exactly. Uh, not that I am her. Uh, that would be weird. Um, but and when she, you know, speaking to her online just the other day about this, because she's been, she saw this back then and has been banging on about it ever since and is really pleased that people are really enjoying it. And she said it's one of the best films released over the last few years. And I know she said it might be the best film of the last few years. Uh, and I would almost go that far. I, I genuinely. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Adored this film. This will be really high up in my list at the end of this year, definitely. Same here. Yeah, I mean, I... I'm struggling because I still really love Birdman. And yeah. I don't know how I'll feel at the end of the year. Maybe if I watch them both again, I might change my opinion on one or the other. If either Can't of those two... Spend your time, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if either of those two won an Oscar, I'd be happy with that. I don't think I will. I don't think anything's no. going to get ahead of uh, Boyhood. No. But, you know, either of those two, I'd be, I'd be I'd, yeah. much more happy to see that happen. Yes. I agree with you there. Okay. Well, I think that finally brings a close to our discussion on Whiplash. I'm going to do a uh, minute drum solo now, though. Just <laughs> lead us out, yeah? No? Okay. Thank God. <laughs> um, but quickly, before we finish the podcast for the week, uh, we're going to give you some recommendations um, to watch in the next uh, seven days between now and the next podcast. I, as I continue to train for this charity boxing match thing I've signed up for, I'm going to recommend The Fighter, which has just been put onto UK Netflix. Mike, what are you recommending people watch? Um, it's not more of a recommendation. It's more of a... I can't believe this film actually got made. <laughs> it's, it was. I saw it at Fright Fest, and honestly, it was the worst film I saw, but a lot of people love it, and I'd really like to know if more people like it. It's in fear, and it's on Film 4 at the moment. Ah. It's a, and... If you haven't seen it, you've got to watch it because it drove 50% of the audience mad and the other 50% of the audience loved it. And we were like, it's, I thought it was terrible. But. I kind of, I watched that, I've seen it, and I, uh, I'm i in both camps. There were bits of it I really liked. I thought it was very atmospheric. But at the same time, I thought parts of it were just ridiculous. Towards the end, it's just awful. Yes. It gets worse as it goes on. I'm looking this up now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's got um, fits of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in it, which is a bit odd. I was a bit surprised okay. to see him in an actual film. But, um, yeah. Okay. Oh, I think I picked this up in HMV once. It, it does exist, though, in, in Leicester anyway. I did pick it up in HMV. I'm sure I did. Uh, and yeah. read about it or something. Yeah, it looks a bit weird. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm not sure I'll watch that. <laughs> <laughs> Who else is left to recommend the film for a set? Me and James, I think. Yeah. Well, 
James, take it away. Okay, I'm gonna very quick. I've been watching a load of documentaries recently, and one of the best documentaries of recent years I've watched. Uh, I watched just after Christmas on Netflix. It's called West of Memphis, and it is uh, a documentary about the real life, pretty shocking uh, child killings uh, in. Uh, West Memphis in Arkansas. It was the subject of three separate uh, HBO documentaries called Paradise Lost, but this kind of sums the whole 16-year battle of three youngsters who were convicted on a, a shocking travesty of justice, essentially, and it's about their journey to try and overturn their convictions, a 16-year journey. Um, it's an incredible documentary, I, I, essential viewing for anyone who's got any interest in the corruption of power and um, uh, and the American legal justice system. It, it had me hooked like a like a kind of thriller. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. And that's UK Netflix. UK Netflix. It's called West of Memphis. Okay, and Owen, um, I'm going to recommend Aguirre, Wrath of God, which is Werner Herzog's 1972 film starring Klaus Kinski as a uh, 16th century conquistador traveling through the Amazon in search of El Dorado, uh, you know, the city of gold, uh, nope. the mysterious so city of gold. Yeah, I refrain from saying that, but I'll, I'll <laughs> it anyway. I, I was expecting Steve to say it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. That should be a Steve line. Uh, that was, a, yeah, Steve, you, you, you've lo- you're off the ball there. Yeah. But it's a brilliant film. I absolutely, absolutely loved it. Wrath of God. I've, I've got that on my shelf to watch. Do you know what, Owen? I, I, I might very literally take your recommendation and watch that this week. Fantastic. Man. Yeah. Do you want a quote from it? Go on. This quote where Aguirre says, I, the wrath of God, will marry my own daughter and with her I'll phone the purest dynasty the earth has ever seen. So if that's not a reason to watch it, because he's a fantastic actor and a brilliant character, then... Yeah. And, and hasn't his daughter actually accused him of abusing her as well? Yes, that's true. Yeah. There's very yeah. <laughs> weird, dark, sinister. I wow. mean, by all accounts, Klaus Kinski was a nutter. Yeah. But um, there you go. Yeah. Brilliant okay. actor. <laughs> very intense. It, again, that, that drive to perfection of your art and your craft. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Wow. Uh, well, <laughs> the only other thing, Steve, before we finish, yeah. I've got to tell you what film you're watching. And then you're kind of rushing out of that to avoid listening to what film I'm going to make you watch for next week. Uh, yeah. I, Frankenstein. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be worse than The Room. It, the, no, okay, yeah, that's a close room. one. There's, there's parts of The Room that you can enjoy. There's nothing to enjoy about I, Frankenstein. You were going to have a hard 90-minute slog. At least they only made it 90 minutes. That's almost... Nice of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I think that rounds off this week's podcast quite nicely. Um, we'll be back around the same time next week with another one for all of you. Uh, so thanks in the meantime, everyone who's contributed and listened. And you can read the website www.failcritics.com. It, uh, do you know what it, it looks like? A, a really kind of 
Academy Awards style shortlist, doesn't it? That's the thing. I think over the last few years, we've started to see a few genuine pieces of brilliant cinema get onto that. But this feels like most of those films, with the exception of one or two, Birdman being one which I liked, didn't love in the way that a lot of people do. But I think it's brilliant that it's on the shortlist and it's brilliant a film like that's being made. Uh, Whiplash. But most of the other films feel like very worthy Academy Award award baiting films and that well I don't know uh, Grand Budapest Hotel I wouldn't say oh no sorry no Grand Budapest Hotel is brilliant I think Bycord's not one of your your normal films but it feels it feels like two hours and 40 minutes it's a massive project Oh, I, I love I love the project, I, but watching the film just made me think this just wants awards to be thrown at it. I didn't. Yeah, and they I they didn't. do love a gimmick at the uh, academy. Yeah, you know, the yeah. artists and stuff you, like that. No, you're right about Grand Budapest. I'm, I love the Grand Budapest got nominated a because the Academy rarely nominates comedy for anything, and mm. it's brilliant that there's there's that and Birdman on there. Uh, Birdman is kind of comic drama, but you know it's a comedy. Um, and also, it was out in, what, March of last year or something like that. So it's one of the few that didn't get lumped in the award season as well. So, um, But yeah. on the whole, it's a bit uninspiring, isn't it? Yeah, and I don't know what you think, Mike, because there's no horrors listed at all, is there? <laughs> never, your never, <laughs> <laughs> never any horrors listed. No. Um, Whiplash is an interesting one. And, I mean, Birdman I, I enjoyed, but I didn't love. Mm-hmm. Grand Budapest Hotel, I do struggle with Wes Anderson films. And the rest of them, like you said, they're all just safe, Oscar-worthy films. A lot films. of bi- it's the biopic type. It is. Uh, uh, you know, uh, and, yeah, I, it was just, it's a shame, because I, I do think Nightcrawler is, and uh, Nightcrawler and Gone Girl, possibly, are the two that have been unfairly dismissed there. Um, and Yeah, I think Gone Girl's actually a bit, been harshly done by again for there to be two blank spaces in that best film nominations bit and for them to essentially go yeah Nightcrawler and Gongo you can get stuffed I don't it feels a bit yeah I, I don't know I don't know it just feels quite a safe selection yeah um, and, and the acting kind of perform all the acting performances feel quite safe as well uh you know, Eddie it's um there there's one or two that like everyone knows JK Simmons is gonna win Best Supporting Actor, uh and I'm not gonna argue with that, as we'll probably find out later on. Um but the rest of them feel a little bit oh, is Eddie Again, Lepay really gonna best. win? He is, isn't he? Just, <laughs> and, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's and and the other thing uh, as well is no Lego in Best Animated Movie, which is an absolute bloody travesty, to be honest. Um, I'm I'm still genuinely angry. <laughs> I don't get angry at too many things, believe it or not. And I'm genuinely angry that Lego has been just shunned for no reason whatsoever, unless it's something to do with the third act of the film without wanting to give too much away. Um, but no one's confirmed anything yet. And I, I, I'm starting to think that maybe they just forgot. <laughs> That's mm. terrible. They wanted free Lego in order to vote, and they didn't get anything. It got nominated for best song, though, uh, and I, I hope it gets the pity Oscar for everything is awesome. That would be great. Um, the only other thing I want is um, Marion Cotillard getting nominated again for a foreign language 
language performance is great. She's not going to win it in a million years because she's already got one foreign language Oscar, so she's not going to win another one. But I, I really, really enjoyed her uh, performance in two days, one night. The leading role actress is quite a decent list, actually. It's I mean, the one that's least... the most difficult to yeah. guess, I think. Although, oh no, hang on. Eldswise, apparently Julianne Moore's going to win it. Mm. But... Um, but in this country, we're not even going to see that film until March. So if she, when she wins her Oscar, we'll have no idea whether or not she deserves it, which I think is a bit of a failure of the distribution model. There you go. I'm angry about that. <laughs> so, Lots um, of is there uh, anything that you're pleased with? What about um, you know the directors? Anyone in there you, you're pleased uh, for? I, I'm 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 a bit angry that um, and uh, this is where my Horrible! I can't actually read the name of the director that I've written down of Whiplash. Um, <laughs> yeah, him. Uh, not getting an on, not getting a nomination. I think is a bit harsh. Uh, and also, um, the director of Selma. It was a brilliant opportunity. So, uh, and I don't mean tokenism and things like that. But I think it's a bit sad that a black female director didn't get an Oscar nomination simply because it would have actually sent out quite a nice mm. message. Um, and someone else pointed out it might have been Callum's piece might have been Callum's piece no it wasn't it was a telegraph piece I read in preparation of the homework um, <laughs> it's uh, all the acting nominations are white people as well <laughs> every single yeah. uh, acting nomination is a per- is not a person of colour so it's um, yeah it just feels a little bit yeah it feels really like a, a safe Academy Award winning thing maybe because uh, 12 Years a Slave did quite well last year. They were like, yeah, I think some white people deserve some awards now. Or something like that. I don't know. It just It's a shame, really, because the Oscars is meant to be like the crowning achievements of the year in cinema. And I think the Failed Critics Awards did a far better job of celebrating <laughs> 2014 in film. Nah, I've said it. <laughs> so, no, basically, there isn't anything that you're happy with. <laughs> Marion Cotillard I'm really happy with Marion Cotillard and I'm really happy that Michael Keaton's got an Oscar nomination because I love Michael Mm. Keaton as well there we go and um, um, Chappie from Birdman who I think should win I honestly think Birdman should win Best Direction because that was an incredibly that was a technical achievement um, and that it was directed beautifully so I think he should win but he won't Mm. I didn't get a nomination for editing which I found odd bit bizarre yeah you know, well, there yeah. wasn't much editing, was there? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, 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 I suppose <laughs> you see the editing, yeah. That, which, in a way, makes me think it should have won, yeah. Because uh, in the way that um, the best referee is the one that you don't see, maybe the best editor is the editing that you don't even notice. Yeah. 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 There you go. Get me on the academy. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> also, we've had the... The 35th Golden Raspberry Award nominations announced yes. to celebrate the, the very worst of film this year. Uh, Michael Bay's done well with both Transformers Age of Extinction and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Up for worst picture, along with Saving Christmas, which I've never heard of, The Legend of Hercules, and Left Behind. And no I Frankenstein. What the hell? I, I thought I Frankenstein was in the, the long list for worst movie. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah, I did see I Frankenstein there. I definitely saw it at least one. But it didn't garner loads of stuff. Um there, I do like the um the, the double axe one that they have and there was like um The Rock and his pecs <laughs> were nominated for worst double act or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um 
Which is a bit harsh. Yeah, The Rock, he's always good. I've not actually seen Hercules yet, but I can't imagine it's that bad. It is. It's oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got The Rock in it. So it's all to be nominated. Yeah, the one that's been nominated for Worst Picture is The Legend of Hercules. Oh, that's yes, the one with... The Oh, with Scott Adkins and someone else oh, in it. Oh, okay. Callan, yeah. It's Callan Lutz in it. Callan Lutz, yeah. 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 And that, that's definitely not very good. Yeah. I kind of liked the Hercules one with The Rock, but... Yeah, it wasn't. That was okay. That was all right. But um, Mel Gibson, worst supporting actor for Expendables 3. Yeah, well, Kelsey Grammer's nominated about five times <laughs> in that cast. <laughs> yeah. But for I, the Expendables 3, Legends of Oz, Dorothy's Return, which I've never heard of, Think Like a Man 2 and Transformers Age of Extinction. Uh, sometimes, you know, I, I do think the Razzies is almost as bad as the Oscars in its stupid decisions and its snarkiness. And I, I think yeah. it, it started off with good intentions. It started off as a counterpoint to the self-congratulatory nature of Hollywood awards ceremonies, and I get that. But actually, I think it's become part of the same machine. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I know we had a, a worst film, which had a clear winner, by the way, in the Fell Critics Awards. But we don't. Most of the time, we we want to like films, and people don't set out to make bad films. And yeah, I don't, I'm I'm not sure how I feel about the Razzies actually. And when when you see things like the Mel Gibson nomination, <laughs> Mel, I'm sorry, Mel Gibson was one of the best things in Expendables, <laughs> and um. That, that's just a stupid decision. It's just because they don't like Mel Gibson, and that, to me, is just as bad as uh, Bradley Cooper getting nominated three years in a row for almost no reason at the Oscars because Bradley Cooper's obviously liked by the Academy. You know, it's they're they're part of the same problem. That they're, they're they're more similar than they would like to admit. I think mm, definitely very populist as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, there's not many genuinely like utterly terrible films there. There's films that are kind of mediocre and average. And yeah, we should point out when that happens. But yeah, like you say, Kelsey Grammer and Mel Gibson on the expend from the Expendables. It, that's just a a populist jab at something that's popular and they didn't like that it made money at the box office. That's mm. it's a totally different argument. Yeah, I do like their Redeemer Award. Um, oh, I missed that one. Yeah. For people who have gone from, from Razzie winner to turning their career around. So there's Ben Affleck, who has gone from, uh, Giggly, Giggly, whatever oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to Argo and then Gone Girl this year. Uh, Jennifer Aniston from four-time Razzie nominee to nominated for various awards for Cake. Mike Myers for winning a Razzie for the Love Guru to going on to direct the documentary Supermensch, The Legend of Shep Gordon. And you've got Keanu Reeves, who has been a six-time Razzie nominee um, and has been critically acclaimed for John Wick. And Kristen Stewart, who is was Razzie winner for The Twilight Saga and is now doing well in some art house film called Camp X-Ray. Right. Keanu Reeves is, a, is quite a good one there, actually, because but, I, yeah. I really want to see John Wick. For everything I've yeah. heard about it, and the Man of Tai Chi, which I really want to see, which um, was also it's one on of these. Netflix, isn't it? It's on Netflix now, yeah. yeah. Um, which you know, it seems like he has genuinely started to turn his career back on track, which yeah. is quite good. 
I think so. That, I, I will just say, though, that Jennifer Aniston thing is, again, yeah. an example of why the Razzies is not... Je- oh, sorry, she's been in some really fluffy... Like, post-Friends, she was in some really fluffy, crappy rom-coms in the way that Matthew McConaughey was and you know, all that. But she's never been bad in films, and she's actually put in, over the last 10 years or so, a, a series of really, really good performances in some very kind of quite critically acclaimed films. Um, you seem like, like a man who's never seen Leprechaun. I'll just put that I, I haven't seen Leprechaun. <laughs> no, you know what I'm talking about anyway. I mean, yes, I do. Oh, <laughs> completely. Is Leprechaun post-Friends then, is it? Free, I think. What is Leprechaun? Yeah. Oh, uh, please, friends. Okay. Oh, fair enough. Warwick oh, Davis is a oh, evil yes, Irish local. Okay. Yeah. No. Obviously. Yeah. It doesn't sound like anyone comes out of that. Nineteen ninety-three. No. It was. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. No. I've not seen that. <laughs> and I'll be honest. I'm in no huge rush. Um. <laughs> I'll stick to uh, Jennifer Aniston's kind of indie-influenced post-friends career. You know, Office Space and uh, Waitress and. Some, yeah, some, she's really, and I, even her turns in uh, in horrible bosses, I thought was actually she was good in that. So, yeah, I think that's a bit harsh on Jennifer Aniston, and sums up exactly why I've got an issue with the Razzies. There you go. Thank you for that extra ammo there, Steve. <laughs> so, I'm, I, because I come back on irregularly now, I'm going to just spout off like a bastard every time I do, and I apologise. No, I'll <laughs> shut up. I'll shut up. No, no different. No different than when you were on every week. Then. <laughs> very true. Very true. Anyway, that's all for part one of the podcast, and after the break, we'll be back with what we've been watching. Part two, then, where it's what we've been watching, and where we take a look at the films we've seen in the last seven days or so. Uh, Mike, as you're new on the podcast, why don't you start us off in this section? Okay. Um, Last week, I watched... Alligator from 1980 and surprisingly enough it has stars Robert Forster and it's rather quite good um, it's a typical monster movie, large alligator morphed into well, alligator morphed into a super large alligator terrorising the streets of Chicago and it was really quite entertaining, the sewer scenes were uh, tense the actual attacks were well done. A little bit of Jaws music thrown in there just to <laughs> add to it. But overall, it was it was an entertaining hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I, <kind laughs> of, I hadn't heard of this until you mentioned it. And then I, I quickly looked it up on IMDb before we started. A, a, an alligator flushed down a toilet. Yeah. And then, as you say, becomes super large and terrorises the town. I have to admit, that seems like my kind of movie. I'm kind of <laughs> intrigued by it. But Robert Forrester played it so straight. I mean, the alligator looked like one great big rubber thing, and he was just on the mark all the time. <laughs> he never lost it, and he was just brilliant. And it was it was just great entertainment. And it, it typical 80s monster movie. I, I remember when I was kind of growing up, I remember reading ridiculous stories in the newspaper. So this would have been mid-80s when I became aware of these urban legends of... So this was a genuine fear, wasn't it, of kind of the American public at the time. In the way that Jaws tapped into a fear of shark... Yeah, that was the the kind of thing that media picked up on. Um, Definitely. So I I do like the fact that 
they went, we've done Jaws, brilliant. People are scared of alligators. What I love is the fact that someone had an alligator that they flushed down a toilet. <laughs> it can't be that easy to flush an alligator down a toilet, surely. It was, that, you must it was have still really a small a one. Really small one, okay. Yeah. And um, any kind of scientific reason for the re- uh, for it becoming so large? or Yeah, the, just... um, the local pharmacy were throwing... Lab, awesome, uh, of course. Always cannabis. the way, yeah. Always the way, yes. And... and, and uh, <laughs> How, how did this... Because obviously sewers are quite a long way underground, a uh, large amount of brick between the sewers. How did oh, this hostile terrify the populace of uh, New York, I'm assuming? He eventually came up and got on the streets and just <laughs> went around and got in a couple of lakes. It was it was brilliant. <laughs> Excellent. It sounds typical, but yeah, it, you, you know what you're setting down to watch when you, you are. sit down to watch <laughs> Robert Forster and uh, Alligator, and it sounds like that's not an evening wasted. It seems like it could only have been made in either the 80s or on the sci-fi channel in the past five to seven years. Yeah, That's correct. like the only periods of time where a premise like that could actually result in a real film. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> now, where, is it available anywhere to watch? Is it? Uh, I've not seen on Netflix. I picked the DVD up from CEX for 50p. Bargain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. Um, <laughs> don't know where to go with that. <laughs> you don't sound impressed, Steve. Um, not particularly. <laughs> I don't think I'll be picking it up for 50p or less um, at any point soon. There you go. Um, on to a film that I have seen um, this week for the first time, which was the, the smash hit... Uh, animated film from a little while ago which was Frozen yes (laughs) sorry (laughs) I'm so excited to hear you talk about Frozen Steve I'm kind of doing a little jig here go sorry so it's it's your standard Disney fair with some princess who has some problems um, and there's a hero and a bad guy and some comic relief and an and an animal that people like because it looks nice. It, pff, boring, really. Oh, I didn't get what? <laughs> Joke, me. I didn't get it. Maybe it's because I was watching it with a stinking hangover, but I don't. I doubt it. It, it, it. I didn't get it. What? What's what's so good about it, James? Because seriously, okay. I was bored. Okay. Like I, I could say if you if you let me include Pixar, I reckon I could name twelve better Disney films. Okay. Firstly, I think you need to look at the context of where Disney have been over the last kind of 20 years. And the fact is they had a great golden period, late 80s, early 90s, let's say up to 1994's Lion King. And then... No, no, let's let's not talk about what Disney... There's nothing to do with Disney have done well. I know I'm saying. The reason this is so popular is because Disney didn't bring out a good film for like 15 years for a start. Okay. I don't think it's that. I think it's just... That's part of it, I think. Uh, Apart from... Tangled, which was brilliant, but didn't get seen. I prefer Tangled to Frozen. Now, what you've got with Frozen is you've got, for a start, you've got two female protagonists, um, which you know taps into something that you haven't seen very much. It is they are quite independent compared to a lot of kind of previous Disney princesses and things like that. And the songs are incredibly brilliant. There, summed it up for you. The songs are cracking. They are brilliant, brilliant songs. Well, written by the guy who did Book of Mormon and 
yeah, it, it, yeah, really, really good stuff. Well, may, maybe it's because I've not seen the film, but I've heard Let It Go relentlessly. <laughs> yeah, that one was hate. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm That's just, that. well, I just didn't get, I didn't find any of the characters, I didn't find any of the comic really funny. I didn't find that snowman thing re- re- remotely amusing or endearing or anything, just irritating. You've got a stone where uh, your heart should be. Steve. <laughs> That's, That's not true. I'm not like Owen. <laughs> <laughs> who, hate, who hates fun and anything like yeah, that? I suppose at least you gave it a go, whereas I've tried to actively avoid it. But I was just... I'd prefer that you did that, Owen. You said I, I. I noticed this over Christmas. I noticed, and I'm not. I'm not having a go at you here, Steve, uh, in any shape or form. You, you didn't like it, and that's fair enough. Yeah, I get that. But there were people who seemed to over Christmas purposefully watch it so they could slag it off on Twitter. Yeah, um, which I found really odd because, like, the year before that, the people who wanted to watch Frozen ended up watching Frozen, or the people who had kids ended up watching Frozen. Essentially, um, the people who hadn't seen it. It by the time Christmas came by, probably weren't going to like it in the first place, because if they were, they probably would have gone and seen it when it was kind of not this huge global uh, juggernaut that it is. What, one of the reasons I raved about it when it first came out is I just went to see it with no expectations whatsoever. I saw it on the first week of release on my own in an almost empty cinema, and I came out with a big smile on my face because I'd heard some great songs, and I'd seen a good Disney film, and I felt like I hadn't seen many for a, a kind of a long time. And the animation is great. It looks good. Um, it doesn't totally outstay its welcome. You know, it's shorter than a number of Pixar films. The other thing is, as well, Pixar films over the last few years have been declining in quality as well, and I hope they arrest that slide shortly but for me frozen's better than anything pixar have done since um up which is only kind of brave and a couple of terrible sequel cars 2 and uh monsters, um, monsters mm. university which really disappointed me because i love the first one I, I don't i don't think it is as amazing as it is now being made out uh, i think it's a very very good decent film with a, a lot of heart though uh, and some and some great songs. I cannot I cannot tell you how much I love the songs. I'm waiting for um, Frozen Singstar to appear on my PlayStation 4 because then that's it. I'm going to become a diva. Uh, <laughs> you're a grown man. <laughs> can't help it. I can't help. It. I'm, I'm I'm just like Peter Pan. I just can't agree. I just didn't find any of it like. I've watched a lot of Disney films as a child and as an adult, and most of them I at least enjoy and get along with. This one, I was just like... Oh. I, I think a bit of it might be because you watched it as an adult as well. The Disney films you watched as a kid, if you watched for the first time as an adult, you probably wouldn't have that same goodwill towards a lot of them. Um and I, and I will just say, as a parent, and I don't mean to bring, you know, the pull the parent card here, although at least for once there's someone else who's a parent on this podcast, you know, other than <laughs> myself. That's a rarity in itself. But as a parent of young kids, um, I watch a lot of crap. I watch a lot of real unadulterated dirge that for one reason or another my daughter thinks is fucking amazing and it's really not. I've got to talk to her about quality control anyway. But... When she wants to watch Frozen, I'm like, thank God for that. I'm going to watch something decent. Uh, yeah, I, I went to see um, Planes 2, for God's sake, last year. Yeah, that. If you want to see a bad, boring, terrible animated film, that's the one to go and see. 
Probably my kids didn't want to go and see that. Yeah, <laughs> you were just a touch older, luckily. Yes. <laughs> okay, um, James, what have you seen? Um, well, I've seen um, a couple of films in the last day or so that uh, I had a bit of a thread in my mind that I wanted to talk about because I think when I had to cry off a podcast sometime last year, I was going to talk about Luke Besson, uh, who is, for, for my mind, the most consistent genre, uh, not just director, but writer and producer, industry um, out there at the minute. I'm not saying he's consistently amazing. I'm just saying you kind of you consistently know what you're getting from a Luke Besson production, and I kind of like it. Uh, yeah, it was last year, I, uh, during a week when I went to see um, Three Days to Kill, the Kevin Costner film, and I then went home and watched From Paris with Love, the John Travolta, Jonathan Rhys Myers action film, which I then rated as four stars on Letterboxd because I was stunned how much I enjoyed it. Um, this is kind of part two. I'll just talk very, very quickly. Taken two, as we know, um, regular listeners will know, I took a very distinct stand on the the release and reviewing of Taken Two in Fell Critics. And as Owen pointed out to me the other day, when he reviewed Taken Three, he refused to talk about Taken Two as some kind of well, what would you describe it, Owen? As um, I don't know, a kind was, of tribute to your principles. I exactly, yeah. I, I like that. So I, I said I wasn't reviewing Taken Two. I wasn't allowing it to be reviewed on the website when I was still in control, mainly because of my disgust at the fact that they had a film which they clearly believed in artistically, which would have been a 15-rated film, and they cut it and hacked at it to get a 12A rating. And my my position at the time, and as is my position now, is you're releasing a substandard film purely for commercial reasons, and I think that that shouldn't be applauded, and that shouldn't be rewarded, and that that annoyed me. So I went back and watched Taken 2, and it appears I did watch the 12A, but I thought I was getting the unrated version. I hoped I might be getting the unrated version, but no. Because I watched this film, and the fight scenes were the... uh, I I swear, Michael Bay fight scenes with two robots fighting each other made more sense than half the stuff in Taken 2. It was really... it annoyed me because I really like the first Taken film. I, and I think we've spoken about it on here numerous times. It, it took me by surprise. I really enjoyed it. This one had all the elements of the first Taken film. I really quite like Liam Neeson's late career change to this gruff, everyday action hero. Like that. Uh, I like the European locales. Uh, I like the fact that because I watched this on Danish um, Danish Netflix, and I had to turn off the subtitles. Like it started up opening in Albania, and I thought, <laughs> "Oh God, oh no, I've had to turn off subtitles because I don't want Danish subtitles up here." But then, luckily, the Albanian guy talks to his family in English, and I was like, "Brilliant! Yeah, I know what I'm doing. This is great. Thanks for that, Luke Besson. Uh, Luke Besson, who obviously wrote and produced but didn't direct this. I keep calling him Oliver Megatron, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's Megatron, which is still a cool name. Um, and Olivier, I think. Yeah, Olivier. Uh, is it Olivier? Yeah, I did bloody Frenchies changing. Um, uh, anyway, um, so yeah, it, it set up really nicely. The whole ridiculous. I love how Luke Besson does bland family life in his films yeah it is they are it is so boring and black dude his setups to these films oh my god just get this is like boyhood but slowed down to you know a tenth of a, a tenth of the speed it's really you know you got liam neeson there teaching his daughter to drive for god's sake get on with it um well i also noticed 
women just don't drive in Luke Besson films. I'll talk about that in a second anyway. Uh, but then the fights start and you're brilliant. And then he's killing people by cuddling them. And uh, like they I fall over that. and then all of a sudden they're dead. And, um, and the worst bit of this, my wife was half watching this with me. And she just burst out laughing when the big climactic scene where, obviously, because you know there's a Taken 3, so you know Liam Neeson's not going to die. So Liam Neeson kills the bad guy. And I, I imagine he's meant to be killed by pushing him onto some kind of coat hook or something like that. But he just kind of like pushes him slightly against the wall. And because you, don't, you can't see any of the violence of <laughs> something going in someone's head, this guy gets pushed against the wall and then he's dead. And it's no, it's no climax. It's just like, that's just, uh, it wound me up so much. This would have been a three star, six out of ten film for me if it wasn't for, for the editing. And that was a shame because... Like I say, I do like Luke Besson's ridiculous action films. They they remind me, in a way, of the 80s action films. Um, and then I went... So I, I watched Lucy today on thinking... Right, it's basically... I was thinking it's going to be Taken meets Limitless, <laughs> but with a female lead, um, and with... Um, uh, yeah, with some Korean, uh, what's his name? Joy Min Sik. Joy Min Sik, thank you very much. Um, yeah, this is going to be really, and Morgan Freeman narrating and shit as well. Yeah, this is going to be cool. Um, and it was completely unlike what I expected, uh, because she doesn't do a lot of fighting at all. Because, uh, Lucy, those of you who don't know, um, Lucy is, uh, kind of, you know, standard American tourist, uh, ends up becoming an unwitting drug mule and, uh, the drug, leaks into her system and she and this is the great bit uh it's a great pitch even though it makes no sense uh she uncovers the other 90 percent of her brain that the humans don't use and it's the next step in evolution and things like that and she ends up with like telekinesis and being able to see into the future and it's really quite weird because she doesn't need to have awesome fights because she just like destroys people with her mind and stuff really really weird film and I cannot help but think that the audience that went in to see this film did not get the film they were expecting. I can't imagine Lucy played in many art house films. This was an art house film. I was watching... This reminded me of 2001. Uh, and then when I read about it, oh, yeah, Luke Besson said 2001 was a major touchstone in his influence for Lucy. And, yeah, you've got the, the monkeys at the beginning. Um, you've got basically... Lucy pretty much becoming the star child. It's, it's, uh, the last 20 minutes of this film made less sense to me than Holy Motors made. Um, and uh, certainly a lot less sense than The Matrix made. And that made no sense. third part of The Matrix made no sense to me either. Um, but at the same time, I just, I just loved the fact that this film was wearing its heart on its sleeves and was... He, he was making his 2001 tribute, but with Scarlett Johansson and a load of Korean gangsters. It was and the only way Luke Besson could make 2001 Space Odyssey. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, and do you know what? I, I had a lot of fun with it. And thinking back to the reason I was thinking about this was because Three Days to Kill is just out on DVD or is about to be released on DVD. That's a really good fun film. Kevin Costner hanging around in Paris, shooting up things. Um... Uh, and please, please, you might think it looks like the worst film that you could possibly watch. I did when, when I watched it. But From Russia With Love, it, I'm putting that to my, the top of my list of films that need a sequel. And you may think there are a load of films that need... No, I need to see John Travolta's character from that film in another film again. It was one of the most 
Was that from Paris with love? Russia with love. Yeah, I was thinking. What was I saying? From Russia with love. There you go. I got a bit confused. I'm sure I said from Paris, very beginning of of this round. But yeah, 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 from Paris with love. Uh, Jonathan Rhys Myers can get knotted. He's he's not very good in it. But uh, John Travolta is genuinely awesome in that film. And um, yeah, I, I just I just love Luke Besson films. Lockout came out not a couple of years back. I think we reviewed on one of the first podcasts, the Guy Pearce prison in mm. space. But again, it's just such a Luke Besson film. And I, I love the fact that you can sit there and go, yeah, this is this is definitely a Luke Besson film. And I know I'm going to have a bit of fun here. He's like a kind of decent Uwe Boll. Um, or, in, in my mind, he because he d- writes and directs and oversees a load of these... He's the modern-day Roger Corman for me. Um, yeah. Even though we've got a ro- modern-day Roger Corman, we've got Roger Corman still making films, <laughs> which is brilliant. Um, but the because the other reason that I bring up Roger Corman is that Luke Besson films rarely make a loss. He makes them cheap, mm-hmm. and they get people going to see them. And, yeah, and he's, he's got an influence in the legacy. I don't think Crank would have been made without Luke Besson, for example. Um, and I'm not, <laughs> there'll be some people going... And we're cranking <laughs> action films for the last ten years. That's what I'm talking about. So no. yeah, that's it. Just go and watch Luke Besson films. More of you. Um, Except Taken Three. <laughs> Except Sorry, yeah, I've not seen Taken Three yet. And uh, and <sighs> yeah, I I don't know. And to be honest, Taken Two, I only gave two stars to. It wasn't great, but but it had enough bits in there for me to say. I'm enjoying watching this. Oh, yeah, and the last thing, none of his films seem to be longer than 90 minutes, which, again, is an absolute blessing these days, and probably another reason he manages to keep costs down. He's he's a really smart, savvy director in that sense, financially, and that's not a bad thing. That's not to be sniffed at. Uh, Talking of Luke uh, Besson, uh, have you seen The Lady? No, I haven't. That's his film. Okay, when was that out? Start of last year. Okay. Or the year before. It's very good. I'll, I'll it's look worth at watching. That. It's I think completely I'll, I think I'll removed from this year. every Luke Besson film out there. It's, <laughs> but it's Michelle Yeoh. Okay. All oh, right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. And Owen, what have you seen in the last seven days? Um, well, I watched two, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, but we, it was slightly different, slight twist to, to normal. Because it was an edit by Steven Soderbergh, director of, you know, Ocean's Eleven and Magic Mike and Side Effects. And, you know, it, it's uh, on his website as well. You can go to go straight to his website and watch it for free, which is extension765.com. Um, and it's up there for free because he's called it sort of an educational cut. Which basically uh, makes it yeah. illegal get around. US copyright, yeah. Yeah. Good work. So it's it's an educational film. Um part of his reasoning for this, I'll just read out a bit on his website. So sometimes you have to cross the line to know where the line is. Just ask any two year old. Maybe this is what happens when you spend too much time with a movie. You start thinking about it when it's not around and then you start wanting to touch it. So basically what's <laughs> happened is he is a massive fan, a huge fan of, of Stanley Kubrick's film, as he quite rightly should be, and so should everybody mm-hmm. else, because it's, yep. it's one of the single greatest films in existence. But he well, obviously so loves it. 
but you know, it's not quite Lucy, perhaps. You know, not as clever as Lucy, but you know, and um, there's certainly less shooting in it. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, so he he really loves 2001: Space Odyssey, and he's what he's attempted to do is restore it into a format that he thinks looks the best, and he's trimmed it down substantially as well. So it's down to one hour fifty minutes, which if you you know. You're familiar with the uh, with the original. That's quite a huge chunk that's been shaved off. At off-hand. least half an hour, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the original's 160 minutes. So oh God! Right, bloody hell! So oh. he's cut out quite a lot. What he's what he's actually cut out. Um, I don't. I can't tell you exact scenes because although I do love 2001: Space Odyssey, and I've seen it a few times already, um, I don't know it well enough to know exactly which bits have been trimmed, which bits mm. of different shots, or what's had different soundtrack added to it. Um, but what I can tell you is a lot of the human interaction, anything to do with people, has been cut down, minimalised oh. um, and condensed. So, for example, Leonard Rossiter, um, mm. the meeting on the moon, none of that is in it at all. Oh. So there's there's very little to do with humans. The opening scene from 2001 Space Odyssey, as everyone knows, is, uh, well, like Lucy, it's got the apes discovering yeah. um, the monolith. They meet the black monolith, which gives them knowledge, and with knowledge they grow and uh, fight, and you see them starting to walk and hit each other with bones and hunt and eat meat and all that kind of thing. Um, that's in there, but it's, it's a lot shorter. Mm-hmm. What seems to still be there, um, and I don't know whether it's possibly just because it seems like it's a huge chunk of the film, or whether it, uh, you know, whether it has actually been edited or not, um, I don't really know. But the, the, the sort of trippy, travelling through space part, mm. and he gets to Jupiter's moon, um, or Jupiter, and, you know, the whole weird flash of colours um, seems to... What he's also done, and I, I'm, someone might correct me on this, I do not remember there being lots of clips of how, you know, the, the robot, mm. um, the artificial intelli- intelligence pairing spaceship. Yeah. They u- he uses the clips of um, just looking straight into Hal's. Um, well, I don't. I don't want to say eye. It's not an eye. It's mm. like his camera. Yeah. Because you know, to say it was a, an eye would be to uh, anthropomorphize. Uh, anthrop- mm-hmm. That word. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not. It's, you know, it's his camera, but it's always lens, I suppose. So there's lots of these clips of this this lens that appear frequently throughout the film building up to Howl's um, ultimate mm. moment, um, which I don't seem to remember before. So what, the, what it seems to be doing is trying to paint him as a villain. Right, the, okay. A, a kind of ominous bad guy, uh, which is odd, which I thought was odd, because part of Howl was, well, he's just another tool, isn't he? I mean, yeah. you see in the beginning when they meet the monolith and they get the knowledge, well, then they start actually using tools and then they meet them they meet the monolith on the moon and yep. suddenly they've got a spaceship with artificial intelligence which is the next level tool and then of course he gets to the um monolith later on uh, in a bedroom which is just one of the weirdest moments of any film ever really unsettling <laughs> for some reason but um yeah but i mean but absolutely still the message is the same through, through the film he's managed to condense it quite a lot but it still feels like 2001: A Space Odyssey, um, and it's an absolutely beautiful cut of the film as well. 
Um, oh, if you've got a really good internet connection, which I now have, yes, finally, <laughs> it's um, it is worth watching. Uh, and I would really love to watch them side by side. I'd really like to just get the original cut, Stanley Kubrick's cut, alongside Zodberg's cut, and just see how they how they match up. But um, yeah, like I said, absolutely one of the best films ever made. One of my personal favourite films. Um, and yeah, if you go to his website, it's it's there to watch for free. Um, there is a little, I don't know whether you'd call it a joke or a pun, but the title of the article is The Revern, uh, Return of W. D. Reich, who um, is the guy who, uh, in the 70s, um, he, was, he slashed Rembrandt's The Night Watch, put a knife to it. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. yeah. Which, so it's obviously a joke because he's taken a knife to a piece of yeah. work he considers to be one of the best in existence and created something else. So, very clever title. Um, Yeah, it's really interesting. I've just remembered, um, thinking of recuts of 2001, there's another recut of 2001, which I've seen. Um, There is. The Bowie 2001, um, which is an even shorter cut, I think, and it's another cut of the film, Mm -hmm. very different, uh, but that one's biggest thing is that this guy, uh, Fritz von Runte, has remixed... Um, Bowie music <laughs> added. Wow. Bowie, uh, so he's added Bowie remixes, his own remixes of Bowie's music to, uh, and obviously Bowie did uh, the song Space Oddity, which kind yeah. of that, that's the tie-in there. Um, so it, it's quite interesting that this is a film that other people have thought, gone to, and thought it, it almost like it's a toolbox. I can maybe I can create something else out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, and I think that in in a way is also testament to the power of Kubrick's filmmaking is that people love it so much but they want to mess around with it and see what else they can come up with yeah absolutely I'm sure for for, um, Soderbergh it was an experience of trying to make it more uh, real to him something that he can actually physically mould and therefore learn something new about it himself you know from a kind of selfish perspective but also it's quite interesting to watch and see how somebody else can what they find in 2001, what yeah. what they really like about it, and particularly someone as you know celebrated as Soderbergh, mm. you know, very uh, well respected director, and it's and the other thing it does just make you remember it. It kind of brings to the fore the power of the editor, and we, yes. we often talk yeah. about the power of the director. Films are described as the work of the person who directed it, but there you go, that's someone who's taken Kubrick's stuff and just reassembled it and made. Yeah, you know, a different film. Uh, mm. So that that in itself, I think, is 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 a worthwhile exercise just to remind us that editing is such an you know an incredibly important tool. And we, how many people here really know more than one editor? Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. We don't we, these editors who do that work silently in the background and things like that. They actually have an incredible um, influence on the films that we see. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to talk about an editor as well in one yes. of our new release reviews. Um, which I suppose we should move on to swiftly. <laughs> and stop doing my job for me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you don't know moving what I'm going to make you watch yet, so you're going to hate me even more in a bit. Moving on swiftly. Um, <laughs> have a break. I'll be back with our new release reviews, including American Sniper and Whiplash. <laughs> Right, 
But first up then for our new release reviews, we have got The Testament of Youth, which uh, Mike has seen. Mike, talk us through that one. Uh, Testament of Youth, which was released on Friday, is the Vera Brisson book that she wrote about her experiences in World War One and the loss of her loved ones in that war. And really, it's quite an emotional piece. It's um, it's very well shot. Beautiful cinematography, and it's absolutely stunning. However, some of the cast were quite a bit of a letdown. Alicia Vincander, who plays Vera Britton, was, was superb. And you might recognise her from A Royal Affair, where she was brilliant in that. Um, it was... It was Kit Harrington, who was playing Ronald Lighton, who is her lover. He just didn't... He was just had nothing. It was a real letdown. <laughs> and I you thought... Know- I, I, I don't, thought he was going to be the star. I like Game of Thrones. I don't even think he's good in Game of Thrones. I, I honestly don't get why. He, he, he's a good-looking lad, isn't he? Uh, I suppose that's he it. Is. And I think that's I, I've never been impressed by him in anything, I'll be honest. You didn't like him in Pompeii? <laughs> <laughs> no, he but this needed some serious acting. I mean, this was a serious piece, and he just didn't have it at all. And she was... Alicia Vingander was giving it her all and she was just brilliant and he was just nothing to her. And, and it wasn't Something the script. Was, there. Yes, <laughs> it was. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but aside that, it was a stunning soundtrack and beautifully shot around Buxton and it, it looked well. The war pieces were very cleverly done. It was never on the lines. It was always behind the lines, out the, out the camp, at the hospital. And it was, it was, it was an interesting one. My da- I took my daughter to watch it, and she loved it. She thought it was brilliant, and she even agreed that Kit Harrington wasn't very good in it, and she's only fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's worth seeing just for the Vera Britton story alone. So, the film to me looked a bit um, not Oscar baity, perhaps maybe BAFTA baity. Very BAFTA, but yeah, definitely not Oscar. It's, I yeah. don't think there's anything there that would. Well, warrant an Oscar, that's for sure. It, it just screams uh, senior screen uh, odium for me. You know, it just yeah, those kind of eleven o'clock yeah. in the morning with a cup of tea and some biscuits and two pound fifty for your ticket. So I've, I've been to a couple of those. They're odd. Yeah. what it screamed to me I know I had I had tickets to a free preview and I had to go to a children's birthday party instead and I'm can't. Yeah, I'm, I'm not overly bothered that I missed it, I'll be honest. It's um, it's getting cut short on Thursday. It goes off the cinema. So it obviously didn't yeah. appeal to the general public. Okay. And uh, next up is American Sniper, starring Bradley Cooper and telling the uh, true story of a sniper fighting in the... Is it the Second Gulf War? Is that what we're calling this one? The Iraq conflict. Well, just the Iraq war, I think. Is yeah. One big long mess, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. A big old mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That should be its official title. <laughs> big old mess. Yeah. I think that was George Bush's whole administration. I yeah. think it was just a <laughs> big old mess. <laughs> is this a little bit more politics than American sniper shows, perchance? <laughs> yeah, possibly. 
Um, but anyway, yes, what did those of us who've seen it think of the film? Um, I personally thought, I thought Bradley Cooper was, was good. Um, perhaps very good, but not quite Oscar, Oscar worthy. Um, considering the likes of Jake Gyllenhaal missed out for, for Nightcrawler. Um, but the film itself just found a bit dull. Not, I wasn't really interested at any point. Yeah. I kind of agree. Can I just go back to a point though? I think, I, I, I did really like Bradley Cooper actually. I think considering mm-hmm. he got nominated for American Hustle, which he was alright in, you know, it wasn't brilliant, he was much better in this. Mm. Um, and he certainly deserves his nomination over a few of the other people who were up there for Oscars, like Benedict Cumberpatch and Eddie Redmayne. Don't think either of them deserve a nomination, whereas Cooper was a bit better than them. Um, but yeah, the problem I had was uh, most of the interesting bits about the film come from the fact it's a true story and not from it being an actually quite good film. You know, because it's based on mm. a real person and you know that the stuff that this real person went through. Um, well, I mean, if you read into it a bit more, I've seen a few criticisms. That, you know, he maybe st- some stuff was exaggerated, yeah, that's true. but for dramatic effect, or maybe some stuff was exaggerated by the main character himself in his book, either because of his own ego and that's what he genuinely thought, or to perhaps help him sell sell the book. Mm. Um, but you know, in, yeah, in general, it's a, it's a true story about a a, a sniper fighting in Iraq and and fighting family problems back home. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he is on record as the like the most deadly sniper in America's history, isn't mm. he? Yeah. 160-odd confirmed kills, I, I think. I believe so, yes. You know, and he is kind of a decorated American hero. Um, yeah. Very well. I mean, even, <laughs> even aside from some of the things that... I think we, it's safe for us to say that he definitely made up in his book. You know, people like Jesse Ventura winning yeah. suits against him for libel or slander, saying that he, what was it, that he'd uh, said some Marines deserve uh, to die? And then, yeah, Marines deserve to die. And Jesse Ventura said, I never even met the man. I don't, exactly. you know, I don't know what was. And, and, and may, do you know what, who knows, maybe that was cynicism. Maybe it was um, actually a result of his post-traumatic stress disorder. Could be, yeah, possibly. Who, who knows? Um, what's quite interesting is actually... Yeah, I, I've only read about the film and about the story. I've not, I didn't get a chance to see the film, but what is quite interesting is how a lot of people in America are refusing to accept any criticism of the film mm. because he's a goddamn American hero, and that in itself is quite telling. But you, you've watched the film. Does the film actually go down? Or is, is that people seeing what they want to see in a film, or is the film a little bit Team America? No, I don't think it was very team mate. The problem. I didn't what, get that impression either. Yeah, I mean, the, pro- the, the problem is it seems to try to do the opposite. You've got Clint Eastwood, who's trying very hard to not be political about it. He just mm. wants to tell the story of this guy who's considered like an mm. American hero, and right. his story from his own words. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, Callum pointed out on his review on the website, and I've seen it in other places as well, it's very difficult to do that when the character has very strong political views. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think he does, Eastwood does about the best you can to make the film non-politicised and non-America, fuck yeah, sized. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, 
you could quite easily transpose that situation to any modern war where the soldier does tours and then comes home for a bit mm. and and you know this it would be kind of the same kind of film it's like Hurt Locker there, isn't it yeah yeah precisely yeah I mean obviously with any film like that there is always uh, with a central character based on a true story who does have opinions and, and whatever of the situation he's in and, and beliefs and whatever it is going to be slightly politicised. It's going to have a slight element of that, but it it's not kind of overbearing by any means. It really it's centre in the film. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some people refer to it as like a John Wayne film, and all I can assume is they've never seen a John Wayne film because you know to compare this to something like The Green Berets, which is just a propaganda film mm. for the American, you know, soldiers. Um, this isn't, this isn't, it's just about this guy. And part of that is what lets it down, because um, you, you just get this overbearing sense that it's trying to purposefully avoid being pro-anything. Yeah. You know, being pro-war uh, or pro-even-invading Iraq or anything like that. Mm. Um, but like I say, the but character, without, Chris without Kyle... criticism as well. I without, mean, I'm yeah. there's, not the criti- there's no criticism of the invasion of Iraq either. It's yeah. like if the BBC wanted to make a film about him. <laughs> yes, very balanced and even, and both sides equally. I... Exactly. Okay. But like I say, but the character shoots people. He shoots 160 people. Mm. So, you know, the, 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 at some points in it, it does feel like it's very insupportive him but it's also because it's a kind of tribute to the guy and that's that's also one of my main problems with it i mean i don't know did did you quite like it mike i think i remember reading your tweets that that yeah i did i really did enjoy it i mean i didn't know anything about it so i was going in there blind and (laughs) i did i thought bradley cooper was great and i thought the actual urban scenes were very well done uh reminded me a lot black hawk down um (laughs) but yeah it was it was an enjoyable film. Yeah, I mean, I liked the I did like some of the um, the way that it tried to bring it back to soldiers reacclimatizing to civilian life. It try, it did try to because he did four tours, you know, of Iraq. So there's, there's there's points throughout the film. It's not just one long bit in a war zone and one long bit actually back home. It, it interjects it all. Um, which is quite nice because you get to see this, the growth or uh, maybe not sort of the growth of his character, just the, the change in him over a, a, a period of time, which was interesting. But then again, it, you know, I felt it didn't do enough to explore his his motivations and, and um, beyond, I mean, you, at points... It just says that he wants to do this because he wants to protect his country. You know, he's not there to save Iraq. He's not there to save it. He's there to stop terrorists from gathering pace and being able to come back to America, um, essentially. But that's it. I mean, all you get is a couple of times where he says it, and there's there's nothing really deeper than that, which is odd, because it's a biopic, a biopic, you know, it's about one guy, and there's not much there about him, just stuff that he's doing and stuff that happens to him. That's how I felt about it, anyway. He's just, he was there to protect his soldiers, wasn't he? He was there. Like yeah. I said, if you, as soon as you walk in that room and I can't see you, I can't protect you. Mm. So, he yeah. was doing, he, all he wanted to do was do his job. 
But um, there's no, there's not enough there. I don't think about why he. There's not because they're back. not they're not discussing the war to give him enough to animation animation to justify what he's doing. Mm. But uh, yeah, but I mean at the same time, I think um, I've seen people absolutely rip it apart and say how horrendous it is, how horrible, and you know he's a murderer and they shouldn't do stuff like this about people like him, but. Uh, you know, it's a... It's, it's like, war. Any soldier's a murderer, isn't he? The guy, the sniper on the other side was doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. That was actually one of my other problems, <laughs> is that they made a specific guy into the, the baddie. Um, you know, yeah. a rivalry with another sniper on, on the Iraqi side, and I thought that was also a bit peculiar. That was a strange decision. Anyway... Um, that's all for America Sniper. Next is our review of Whiplash. Um, I mentioned earlier, another film Oscar nominated. Um, those of you who have seen it, tell us about that. Uh, James, why don't you start off? You've been quiet for far too long. I know. <laughs> I'm nervous, isn't it? I, I, I still managed to chip in on a film I've not even seen. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, Whiplash, uh, quite simply, one of the best films I've seen in the last 12 months. It would have been in my top five last year if I'd seen it at the London Film Festival. It's the story, a really simple story of uh, a young lad uh, at, at one of the well, the top music school in America in New York, played by Miles Teller, uh, a jazz drummer who goes out of his way to try and catch the eye of the leader of the uh, the conservatoire's um, studio jazz band, uh, played by J.K. Simmons. And what you get is essentially Full Metal Jacket with dra- jazz drumming. The first <laughs> Full Metal Jacket with jazz drumming and a few sports films. But it's just an incredibly lean and raw film that has great performances, primarily two great performances. Um, J.K. Simmons getting a huge amount of justifiable recognition already. He's going to walk away with the Oscar. Miles Teller does really well in this role, though. Um, I've not really seen him in much, I'll be honest. Uh, And I've certainly never seen him do anything as intense as this uh, and do you know what you know when you are in the cinema and you look at, you say oh, I looked at my watch and that's usually a bad sign as as I felt this film was getting to its final denouement I looked at my watch thinking well it can't be because I've only been watching this for about an hour and I realised no I've been watching this for nearly an hour and 40 minutes I just didn't realise it flew by it's um, just it, an incredible film I, I'll let someone else chip in for a minute while I try and <laughs> regather my thoughts uh, yeah, no, I completely agree. I really, really enjoyed this. Um, it's kind of one of those as well. It feels a bit personal because it's partly influenced by um, director Damien Chazelle's um, personal experiences of being in a in a in a music school, music academy. Although exaggerated, um, you know, it has to be because it's a film. You can't have everything exactly based on real life, or most things would be quite boring. So the hyper, um, it, it, you know, it's hyper realism in terms of the character of Fletcher, played by J.K. Simmons. Uh, a lot of people have come out. A lot of musicians have actually come out in the press over the past couple of weeks saying, "Yeah, nothing like that really at music academies. Um, you get a few grumpy teachers, but no, nobody like Fletcher." So. Uh, 
the thing is, I, I, I don't think it has to be about drum. For me, it's not a film about drumming. I was trying to explain this to yes, someone yes. yesterday. Um, someone who listens to this now and again, actually. I call him Duff. That's all I'm going to say. Right, okay. Um, who said it was pretentious. Um, said it was a pretentious film. And, he said, and his question for that was, um, could you, when there was a scene where three different drummers are going through their paces and none of them are doing it right. And he said, could you tell the difference between any of their drumming? I said, no, I couldn't, but that's not the point. Because for me, it's not even a film about drumming. It's a film about uh, perfection. Uh, and you could transport this film to almost any field. And the one that really reminded me of is that the you know, chefs, uh, the, the restaurant industry, and you know there are people like that there. You know there are sports coaches like this. Um, and so for me, it wasn't a massive leap. I can imagine there are, you know, one or two, you know, music teachers who are a bit like that. I'm not saying they're all like this, um, but it doesn't surprise me. But for me, it's, it's not even a film necessarily about music, despite music being a huge part of the film, a massive driving force and brilliantly used. It's, it's just a film about perfection. Um, and and what you're the prepared best. to do yeah exactly um and what i love is the fact that as an audience member i had no idea what was going on with the drumming half the time i just know it sounded good but it didn't matter i didn't need to know uh in fact it probably works that i couldn't tell the difference because then i felt like the character i couldn't tell if uh, the famous scene that a lot of people will have seen in the trailer and used in the awards build-up uh yeah are you a are you a dragger or a rusher and to the point that the person, I don't know if I'm going too fast or too slow. And if he doesn't know as an audience member, of course I'm not going to know. But that is incidental to the whole point. As we yeah, well, he might not be doing either. Point. And he might not be doing either. It might just be a completely psychological bullying torture yeah. method as well. And, uh, and that is brilliant. It, you're right. Hyperreal is, is, is very good. You couldn't spend the whole film with J.K. Simmons. His... Um, it would wear off after a little while. Mm-hmm. It, but yeah, you you get used to it. So he's used, not sparingly, but you know, there's enough gaps between his bits, and he isn't constantly like that. He does have some range, and he has some quieter moments as well, which I think really really help the film because when he does explode, I'm sorry, it's really funny as well. Um, I was some... just yeah, exactly right. It's it's strange because you. Just... You find yourself laughing a, at it and terrified of him. a bastard. Yeah. And you think, you know, in real life, you'd think, no, he, he should never be allowed to teach impressionable young people. But actually, the whole point of the film is, yeah, as distasteful as it might as it might be, is that approach sometimes needed? And that that for me is the the crux and the key question towards this film, and you know, which makes you think makes you think about yourself. Um, um, it leaves you with an uneasy question, which is actually, is he right to do that? And because it, it isn't just he's a massive bully, he 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 is doing it for a reason. And uh, the whole uh, is the end worth the methods? I suppose would be would be one of the key questions here. I know this is going to stray slightly into spoilery territory, mm-hmm. but you know, Mike James, we'll be careful. The the ending of the film. Was perfect. Sorry. Oh, yes. No, no. I was going to say, there's there's a point just before the most iconic moment in the film, probably, um, yeah. where something happens with Miles Teller's character mm-hmm. with Naaman. Um, yes. Do you? Th- <laughs> it's difficult to say without spoiling. The, the the point where he 
uh, has a confrontation mm-hmm. with Fletcher um, on stage. What what do you think the motivation behind that was from Fletcher's point of view? Do you know I'm 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 I can't quite get what we're getting at here. I'm okay, sorry, because so we're talking about talk. him not having the right music. Yes. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. I. I yeah. Um. I think it's all planned. I think it's. Yeah. I think it's. It's all definitely it. planned. But do you think that is the motivation? Yeah. I think we might have to talk about this off of off of the. Okay. Pod, I'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah. No, but all I will say is we'll have a chat uh, uh, off here, and then you know, chat to us on Twitter or whatever. <laughs> um, I, the great thing for me about Whiplash is it's a film I want to talk to people about, and not just like talk to them about saying, "Oh, this happened, this happened." Actually, no, about what it made me feel about things, and what what motivations were there behind characters and things. Yeah, I definitely, I really want to have this conversation, but I'm scared that I'm going to ruin it for yeah, okay. the moment I start having that conversation. It, it, it is very honestly ambiguous, I think, at times, yes. which is which is quite nice. Um, yeah, not in a you know, they can't yeah. bother to explain it sort of way, but uh, you interpret it in your own way. Yeah. That which I quite enjoyed. Um I suppose the other thing as as well is that we haven't really talked about Miles Teller and his drumming. Mm. I know it's not necessarily a film about jazz, um but I mean I hate jazz music. I've mm. never gotten on with jazz music. But it's the point again, seems it's not about the music, is it? It's not about the music, <laughs> but it's about the thing that you know, it's a bit art. Really, mm. that's the rather than specifically one type of, yeah. of music. It's about art, and it's yeah. about exceeding performance to kind of transcend away from what you're what you're actually doing is you know hitting sticks against a, a bit of skin on a metal round drum to yeah. make a noise. It's about exceeding that to become something bigger, something more. Yes. Um, and you know, as well, Miles Teller's character striving for. Not just to be good, but or great even. He wants to be a great. He wants to be a legend yeah. of his of his yes. um, chosen profession, you know, and his career. But I thought that the, the acting for Miles Teller very good. Did you know he does most of the drumming? Uh, yes. Yeah, only because I then read about it, and he's okay. been drumming since he was fifteen or something like that. So he, he was a drummer. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and to, uh, isn't it something like ninety percent of what you see on screen, not necessarily what you hear, but what you see on screen is ninety yes. percent. What you see on screen is him, is him drumming. Uh, That's right. Yes, yeah. pretty damn impressive, actually. And it's also uh, where I was going to talk about the editing because um, yes. the scene, there's one, just one part of the film where he's drumming really well, um, but that just one, perhaps sort of, I don't know how long it is, about seven, eight, nine minutes long. Yeah. Um, which seems like for anyone who hates drumming or jazz, don't worry about I, it. It's brilliant. I, I read it was it's a nine minute drum solo. It's it, nine, it minute. nine minutes, and I read that when it's I was on just the reading. CD. The, it's, yeah, it's, on the sound it's okay. nine minutes, and I read that and went, no, that was two, three minutes max. That how the hell was that nine minutes? It's amazing. It, it, it just it, that's what I mean about this film just flew by, uh, and it. And, and yeah, I've I've liked the odd bit of jazz, you know, um, over the years. There'll be a bit that I've heard, snatches I've heard here and there. Uh, this is a brilliant soundtrack, though, and it, in a way, it reminds me of Inside Lewin Davis. I'm not a massive fan of '60s folk, but the way that film was very evocative of that era and how it used the music, I kind of didn't care that I didn't like that music because you know what? In this environment, I do, and it's the same with Whiplash. I'm not a big jazz fan. 
but in this environment with these people and these characters and all the other emotions it brings to the surface, mm. I couldn't imagine listening to anything else. You know? But it was, so, it was. I mean, it's interesting to bring up um, Inside Lou and Davis because what you hear on the actual soundtrack, you know, mm. if you buy it from an yes. HMV or if that is even good anymore. <laughs> on the CD, and you pull it in your yeah. Walkman. Yeah. I don't know, I'm, I'm very old-fashioned. So, <laughs> you know, that is... Walkman, Owen, wow. Exactly. <laughs> you know, if you buy it on cassette, and you pull it in your stereo, um, but it, that is different to what you hear in the film, because in the film, they were performing most yeah. of the songs live as part yeah. of the film. Whereas with this, that nine-minute drum solo was filmed over two days. Mm. Just that one drum solo, two days that was, yeah. and that was Tom Cross, the editor, who has been nominated for an Oscar. He Good. put that together to make it look like just one long nine-minute solo. Yeah. I think he's done a fantastic job. Yeah, I definitely. think he's been, you know, fully deserved his, yeah. his, his nomination for that because it's it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I, yeah, I, I just I love the film. I, this is now the film that I want to win best Oscar. It won't. Uh, but it's it's the one I'm cheering on because I know Grand Budapest Hotel won't win squat. So <laughs> this is the one that I'm cheering on now because, wow, it, it would have been up there in my films. I, I would have had five films of last year uh, if I'd actually got to see this at yeah. the London Film Festival and any of them could have won my favourite film of last year. This is, is so good. And I know... Um, uh, yeah, just to say, I, I don't know if Carol still listens to this. I wouldn't if I was her. Uh, <laughs> you don't. But, no, no I don't. Exactly. <laughs> uh, not that I am her. Uh, that would be weird. Um, but and when she, you know, speaking to her online just the other day about this, because she's been, she saw this back then and has been banging on about it ever since and is really pleased that people are really enjoying it. And she said it's one of the best films released over the last few years. And I oh, know she said it might be the best film of the last few years. Uh, and I would almost go that far. I, I genuinely adored this film. This will be really high up in my list at the end of this year, definitely. Same here. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i struggling because I still really love Birdman, and yeah. I don't know how I'll feel at the end of the year. Maybe if I watch them both again, I might change my opinion on one or the other. If either Can't of those two... spend your time, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if either of those two won an Oscar... I'd be happy with that. I don't think I, they will. I don't think anything's no. going to get ahead of uh, Boyhood. No. But you know, either of those two, I'd be, I'd be I'd, yeah. much more happy to see that happen. Yes, I agree with you there. Okay. Well, I think that finally brings a close to our discussion on Whiplash. I'm going to do a uh, minute drum solo now, though. <laughs> the leader sound, yeah. No. Okay. Thank God. <laughs> um, but quickly before we finish the podcast for the week. Uh, we're going to give you some recommendations um, to watch in the next uh, seven days between now and the next podcast. I, as I continue to train for this charity boxing match thing I've signed up for, I'm going to recommend The Fighter, which has just been put onto UK Netflix. Mike, what are you recommending people watch? Um, it's not more of a recommendation. It's more of a... I can't believe this film actually got made. It's, <laughs> it was—I saw it at Fright Fest, and honestly, it was the worst film I saw. But a lot of people love it, and I'd really like to know if more people like it. It's in fear, and it's on Film Four at the moment. Ah. It's, and if you haven't seen it, you've got to watch it because it drove fifty percent of the audience mad, <laughs> and the other fifty percent of the audience loved it. And we were like, it's, "I thought it was terrible." 
I kind of, I watched that, I've seen it, and I, uh, I'm i in both camps. There were bits of it I really liked. I thought it was very atmospheric, but at the same time, I thought parts of it were just ridiculous. T- towards the end, it's just awful. Yes. It gets worse as it goes on. I'm basically. looking this up now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's got um, bits of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in it, which is a bit odd. I was a bit okay. surprised to see him in an actual film, but um, yeah. Okay. Oh, I think I picked this up in HMV once. It, it does exist, I mean, in Leicester anyway. I did pick it up in HMV, I'm sure I did. Uh, and yeah. read about it or something. Yeah, it looks a bit weird. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm not sure I'll watch that. <laughs> <laughs> Who else is left to recommend the film for a set? Me and James, I think. Yeah. Well, James, take it away. Okay, I'm gonna, very quick. I've been watching a load of documentaries recently, and one of the best documentaries of recent years I've watched, uh, I watched just after Christmas on Netflix. It's called West of Memphis, and it is, uh, a documentary about the real life pretty shocking uh child killings uh, in uh west memphis in arkansas it was the subject of three separate uh, hbo documentaries called paradise lost but this kind of sums the whole 16 year battle of three youngsters who were convicted on a, a shocking travesty of justice essentially and it's about their journey to try and overturn their convictions a 16 year journey um it's an incredible documentary essential viewing for anyone who's got any interest in the corruption of power and um uh, and the american legal justice system it, it had me hooked like a like a kind of thriller brilliant brilliant stuff and that's uk netflix uk netflix it's called west of memphis okay hello in um i'm gonna recommend agira wrath of god which is Werner Herzog's 1972 film starring Klaus Kinski as a uh, 16th century conquistador travelling through the Amazon in search of El Dorado, uh, you know, the city of gold. Uh, the mysterious so city of gold. Yeah, I refrained from saying that, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. <laughs> I, I, I was expecting Steve to say it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. That should be a Steve line. That, that was a, yeah, Steve, you, you, you've lo- you're off the ball there. Yeah. Well, it's a brilliant film. I absolutely, absolutely loved it. Wrath of God. I've, I've got that on my shelf to watch. Do you know what, Owen? I, I, I might very literally take your recommendation and watch that this week. Fantastic. Man. Yeah. Do you want a quote from it? Go on. This quote where Aguirre says, I, the wrath of God, will marry my own daughter, and with her I'll phone the purest dynasty the earth has ever seen. Oh, so if that's God. not a reason to watch it, because he's a fantastic actor and a brilliant character, then... Yeah. And, and hasn't his daughter actually accused him of abusing her as well? Yes, that's yeah. true. There's very yeah. weird, dark, sinister. Wow. I mean, by all accounts, Klaus Kinski was a nutter. Yeah. But um, there you go. Yeah. Brilliant okay. actor. <laughs> very intense. It, again, that, that drive to perfection of your art and your craft. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Wow. Uh, well, <laughs> the only other thing, Steve, before we finish, yeah. I've got to tell you what film you're watching. I know you're kind of rushing out of that to avoid listening to what film I'm going to make you watch for next week. Uh, yeah. I, Frankenstein. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be worse than The Room. It, the, no, yeah, that's a close room. one. There's, there's parts of The Room that you can enjoy. There's nothing to enjoy about I, Frankenstein. You were going to have a hard 90-minute slog. At least they only made it 90 minutes. That's almost... 
nice of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I think that rounds off this week's podcast quite nicely. Um, we'll be back around the same time next week with another one for all of you. Uh, so thanks in the meantime, everyone who's contributed and listened. And you can read the website www.failcritics.com.